I hope you're buckled in because mayhem is here. Welcome back to the Out of the Box podcast. Greer Robertson, Tom Canterbury. It's evening for us. I don't know where the heck you're listening or when. All I know is we're still, Tom, trying to recover from the head-spinning weekend that was just a few days ago. Yeah, they call it mayhem. It truly was. As I've gotten older, I used to really like roller coasters, but as I've gotten older, I've had to put the the stuff that you put behind the ear to make it where I don't get sick on them. Uh, I, I felt like I needed that here this weekend because it was uh, just a crazy weekend. We saw so many upsets, up and down uh, teams, you know, run rolling somebody one day and then getting beat the next day. Top 10 teams, all, almost everyone vying for a top eight seed in the NCAA tournament, lost at least one game. It was a nuts weekend. And now we get to go to the to the tournaments in the conference, which are even going to be crazier. Yeah, you know, conference tournaments, typically those are really calm and nothing right. ever happens. <laughs> yes, so. exactly. Oh, man, it is May. The postseason is starting very soon. Selection Sunday is less than a week away. Mm-hmm. What is going on? So we've got so much that we have to cover here on this episode. We're going to start at the plate. What happened at Alabama? Well, honestly, one of the craziest series I think we've ever seen, Tom. It was crazy. And, and one thing that Patrick Murphy said in one of the pregame interviews, and I think it, it's going to be kind of a theme that we'll talk about throughout the entire show, is you can play well and still lose a game. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what happened, on, especially on Friday for Alabama. Yeah, and I think also, you know, you could say the same thing about Missouri. It was one of those series where it was even from the first pitch of game one to the last pitch of game three. And we'll talk about everything that happened, including a lot of DMs we've gotten about asking to have the home run situation explained. Great. Which we'll do our best. (laughs) Because we did such a great job of it, probably on the broadcast. Oh, I went back and listened. It was madness. (laughs) Then we will advance to first and do a little bit of a uh, recovery and a review of what happened in the SEC. But mainly we'll talk awards, which are coming out actually later than normal. So stay tuned to that during the SEC tournament. And then also, of course, we will go through and take a look at the bracket. What path is good? Who could be on upset alert? Everyone is the answer to every question. <laughs> the answer is yes. Yes, yes, correct. <laughs> and of course, the SEC tournament will be a big part of the conversation when we steal second with Jen Schroeder, our friend from ESPN from UCLA. Then we will round third. Speaking of the NCAA tournament. A fruitless exercise made more fruitless by the dumbest weekend in the history of college <laughs> softball. Bracketology is back. This is going to be the week where I update like everything daily. The the nitty gritties are coming out daily. I gave it my best shot. Not, not to spoil it, but is Alabama going to make the tournament? Yes. Okay. Just making sure. Then we'll look. Oh, and by the way, we've got delineation. So I, I've, I've done the super safe supers bubble. We're ready. We're going to have it all Ooh. clear cut for you. Wow. Let you know how everything's going to work. Ready to go. I think. The and committee's it, thrown some haymakers before. Right. That's true. How far school will it get? We'll find out. Finally, we will head home. The results are in, and I'll tell you who one picks when we get to that part of the show, but then we will pick the SEC tournament, Tom, which I should say I nailed last year. I missed the first game and got the rest right. That, that was is- the only thing I won all year long. Will I repeat my performance? No. Right, because well, the one thing we know, the only one we know for sure is the first game this time. Yes. And any, anything else is pretty much a toss-up, so yeah, it's going to be a crazy uh, tournament. Yeah, I don't think either one of us is going to have a perfect bracket. This no. Time. Also, we've got off the wall because even with comments turned off, the, the wall is still off of. As I speak in <laughs> So <yoga>. far away <laughs> from the wall. <laughs> Could not be more off from the wall. 
But first, we got to get to what's happening now yes. before we get to all that later Please. on the show. Let's start at the plate and talk about the Missouri series. A 2-1 series win for the Tide, which we both predicted correctly. The prediction one, was fine. Nailed the prediction. Right. Game one, perplexing at the yes. time because, you know, you come back from the break and you think this team's going to be fired up, motivated, and they were, but yeah. the issues weren't fixed. And it was just kind of one of those games where Alabama, just like they had the first four games prior, had just kept missing their chances, and Missouri was able to cash in. Yeah, and even with that happening, you know, we saw in two of the three games, the first two, uh, Missouri hitting home runs in the first inning. So Alabama mm-hmm. was coming off the deck from the start in both those games and was able to uh, score runs in the bottom of the first inning. So I think that was a positive to go along with that. But you look at it with as well as Montana Fouts pitched in game number one, if the catch is made in center field on Wirtz home run that yeah. hit off the glove and went over the fence, if that catch is made, it's safe to say that Montana Fouts gets a complete game shutout victory and Alabama gets a sweep. And you're looking at that saying you're still having the offensive issues, but you played well enough to hold one of the best offensive teams in the conference to four total runs over the weekend and, you know, could have got a sweep very easily. Absolutely. It's amazing to look at. So I think you kind of, I think if you're an Alabama fan, you look at, this past weekend, even the loss in game number one with the glass being half full. Let's go through the list. We had some questions, and I feel like a lot of them were answered. Some new questions came up, but we answered some new questions came up. Here are some of the questions that we wanted to know, just us discussing internally. Yeah. Montana, can she go? Can she go like a full weekend? Can she carry the load? Absolutely. Check, exclamation mark, star. I think Montana looked like she did in the SEC tournament. There was a fire there. There was that look in her eyes. There was the execution of three different types of pitches that were kind of the main focus of each game. I thought that overall it was one of the best regular season weekends I've ever seen from her. And my favorite part, we've talked a lot about the changeup, right, from Montana. We know she has it, but it's all about feeling the comfort and being willing to throw it. I think she threw four or five in game three. Yeah. And all of them were in the dirt, which has always kind of been the issue because she wants to throw that pitch for a strike, leaves it up, it gets hit, she doesn't want to throw it again. If she throws it in the dirt, that messes up the timing, and that was a really good sign too. So I thought A++ for Montana Fouts in the circle. Yeah, it was. it looked like postseason Montana was going and rolling, and um, and we're going to need that because the uncertainty with Lexi Kilfoyle's future moving forward here this year. But that led to another question. Okay, so if Lexi Kilfoyle can't go, and right now, as I've talked about in the circle and we've talked about on broadcast, day-to-day, like hardcore day-to-day, right. like we'll find out the day of what's happening. We'll see how she feels when we wake up that morning. <laughs> exactly. Basically. Right. So if she's not able to go, you got to have somebody else who can throw. And Alex Salter – has appeared to be that best option the last few weeks. So with her getting the start in game two, my thought was, okay, Alex, you have two jobs today. One, win the game. And two, prove that you can throw important innings in the postseason because from here on out, every inning is important the rest of the way. Yes. She absolutely 100% passed the test. If you want to say there are a lot of base runners, fine. But none of the base runners scored. The only run came from a solo home run. But nobody who stood on a base came around to score. And that's a testament to her ability to pitch situationally and get out of those jams that she found herself in. 
just an unbelievable performance by Salter. A great uh, pitch selection by her and Stephanie Van Brinkle pro throw. Great defense behind her as well because she's going to pitch to where the defense is going to have to make plays. Mm -hmm. And they did that behind her in big chances, two big opportunities for Missouri to score runs. You know, we talked so much about Alabama's inability to convert with runners in scoring position. Missouri didn't do it all all weekend long. Oh, for 20 in the series. It was the biggest stat of the weekend. Right. You know, Missouri fans were were really upset about the home run call, which we'll talk about in a second. That's that's not why you lost these games. The reason right. you lost these games is because combined in the whole series, Missouri was 0 for 20 with runners in scoring position. In game number two, especially it's actually amazing they even won game one with those numbers. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. You know, if if the catch is made uh, up against the center field wall and it's not a two-run homer, then I don't see Missouri scoring in game number one at all in game number two. And a lot of it was Salter early on that Missouri left two runners on in the second, three in the third, two in the fourth, three in the fifth. They just got people on, but could not get them in. And I think a lot of credit there goes to the Alabama pitching with both Salter and Fouts. Uh, and because you're doing that, I think as an Alabama fan, you also need to kind of look at what Alabama, the struggles they've had, some of the some of the pitchers that you've faced and had those struggles against don't have the best statistical numbers, especially the AM yeah. uh, pitchers, but they pitched really well, really well that day. The Missouri pitchers pitched really, really well. I think you have to see that there is a correlation and not just Alabama can hit. It's well, the pitchers pitched really well against them too. Jordan Weber, Lauren Krings, incredible all yeah. weekend long. And Megan Schumacher came in and threw amazing and relieved too. Other than Missouri pitching staff and what they've looked like the last few weeks has been uh, really, really impressive. The other question, would the timely hit ever come? After game one, you're like, okay, we're we're about to find out a lot about this team because they had a whole week to think about it, came back and it didn't, it didn't happen. It did not. Well, it did in game two and it was Abby Dorr. It did in game three and it was actually Prangy. Again, more on that in a second, but I, I think it's important that other people did it because Allie Shipman, while she had a good game too, still not quite back at her usual rhythm. And so it had to come from somewhere else. And it did. Abby Dorr, clutch, Ashley Prangy made a great adjustment in her at bat and made Missouri pay. Yeah. And then as, as well, Bailey Dowling too. Mm-hmm. And game number two had the her and Shipman, the back to back at bats in the first inning to you know ending with the the rbi double by dowling i thought were some of the best at bats we've seen all year long set the tone yeah yeah and, and it kind of and those were with two outs a single and then a double to score shipman uh and that kind of showed they are they are making the adjustments and just because as a batter you can do everything right you can make all the adjustments sometimes still it just doesn't happen because you know that's the nature of the sport but it's going to happen when you have the talent you when you put in the preparation it's going to happen uh, at the right time. And so if you're if you're going to have a little bit of a lull, you don't want it to happen anytime, but hopefully you're starting to come out of it as we head into postseason. Okay, here's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> a home run was not hit, but it was called a home run. It and, and watching it as it happened, a lot of us thought it was a home run. Yeah. As did the, the umpire in the third base side, Cameron Ellison, who again – our boy Cam keeps coming up. I still think he's one of the best umpires great in the job. SEC. I thought he, he had a great. Yeah. I thought he had a great strike zone on Saturday. You and I both, you know, don't fault him for calling the home run call because we both thought it was as well. Right. Yeah. I think he just made a mistake. Yeah. It was unfortunately a, a mistake that uh, that 
provided Alabama with a quote-unquote extra run, who knows what would have happened the next at-bat. But uh, I, I do think – I've watched the video a ton. I think Alabama definitely would have scored two runs. I'm not sure it necessarily cost Missouri the game. Uh, I think Cassidy Shomo deserves a lot of credit for making the play that she did. But it was just one of those weird situations where it's a play that is not reviewable. And watching it in real time, my first thought was like, oh, I'm surely we could review this. And then we looked at the checklist. We're like, no, wait, it doesn't fall under anything. We can't. And uh, that's probably going to be something that's looked at. I talked to Larissa Anderson all series long about different things that coaches want to add. We we discussed leaving early uh, on the bases and things like that. This is going to be tinkered. But bottom line, Missouri uh, got unlucky because of the way the replay rule is right now. Cameron Ellison made an umpiring mistake based on what he saw that a lot of people in venue saw and it sucks. I'm sorry, but right. it, it is what it is. And there was literally nothing that they could do about it. Yeah. Once the home run call had been made. One of the things about the review system and the thing and the different checkpoints is they don't want to have to place runners. Right. And that's why you can only review a call. If it's called a not catch to begin with on like a diving catch. If it's called a catch, then that's where it is because we don't want to place the runners, which I don't agree with necessarily. I think, you know, this is not that hard to be able to place the runners, but that's where we are. The main issue is I keep seeing all these people say that Cassie Shomo robbed the home run. She did not rob the home run. If she caught the ball, then she would have robbed the home run. That's true. This whole conversation doesn't happen if Shomo is able to catch it. She made a tremendous play to, you know, deflect the ball to where it hit the top of the wall and bounce back. I've seen Haley McClinney rob home runs. I've seen Alyssa Brown rob home runs. It's because they catch it. They go over the fence to make the catch. Shomo made a great play. She did not rob the home run. If you were to place runners, then I think, like you said, it's a double and both runners score. If they do it as a ground rule double, then only one runner is scored. You have runners on second and third. It's a 1-1 game, and you're just assuming that Kaylee Tao coming up next doesn't knock in the runs. Right. Which you can't. And that you score again later when Missouri did not. Right. But the conversation of it costing Missouri the game is incorrect. Run wise, yes, technically it was. But a much bigger play overall in the game was Missouri not being able to capitalize on their opportunities and score against Montana Pats. Right. Again, the Ofer. Yeah. With Ofer four in game three. Their one run in scoring position. Their one run was an unearned run. On Montana doing something she hasn't done in 14 months. Right. 15 months. So uh, it's I think it's being very presumptive to say that Alabama doesn't win that game if that's not called a home run. And I will also add, a lot of people on Twitter were talking about how Cameron Ellison should have let the play play out. And, you know, perhaps that's that's something that's communicated to the umpires in the future. But as we've talked about all year, and I, I think – I think we probably need to give more grace to the replay system. We have to remember that this is the first year any of these umpires have ever really had to deal with this in real time. So yeah. I'm not sure that Cameron Ellison, as the play is Was unfolding, thinking is it, thinking, right. oh, I need to make sure that I don't call this so that there's the capability to review it because we've only had the ability to think like that month and a half. We saw that it was a couple series ago in one of the very early at-bats of a game where Dallas Goodnight was called for being out of the box and the home plate umpire called a dead ball because that's the way it's always been. Right. Not, you know, not remembering that this year that's a delayed dead ball and he should have let the game, the play uh, play out. And all he could do was turn around and tell the coaches 
my mistake, but it's, we got to go what we call. Right. And so, yeah, I, I agree. There's, there's a little bit of, this is the first year we're doing this type of thing. You know, it's similar to in football, just call it a fumble and then let it play out. I'm sure that's, that's a point. And I'm sure that's been discussed with everyone. Best case scenario would have been him just letting it play out. Totally. And then, then we'll see what, see what happens, but you got to go with what you got. And we'll say it became a, a non-reviewable call. And uh, Ashley Prangy gets a three-run homer. Yeah. Add that to the list for Prangy. And, you know, there will be a lot of stuff that comes out of this in terms of what um, what the procedure is, I'm sure, with with the replays. And like I said, I bet there is a, hey, you know what, just if you have any doubt, just don't do anything. Right. Um, and that'll probably be a focus. But I think that people should kind of lay off Cameron Ellison just a little bit because this was one of those very unique situations and did he get it wrong yeah does that mean he sucks no no he's, and, he's, uh, he's not just as an Alabama but just in general he's been every game I've umpire. watched yeah. he, he's consistently one of the best umpires and that should really mean something coming from us because right. I'm not sure we have ever spent this much time <laughs> defending an umpire before no, just would not be the defending case. his honor right <laughs> we got you Cameron <laughs> uh, okay we're not going to spend a ton of time on this next part the SEC tournament, in particular, it's hard to discuss this because, A, we don't know who Alabama's playing. We know it's the winner of Auburn-Missouri, but we'll find out on our flight to Gainesville right. yes. who we're playing. And, two, there's so much in the air with lineups. You know, we didn't really talk a lot about Callie Hevlin and her Game 3 performance. Oh, great. Her first SEC play start, she was two for three, reached base three times. Patrick Murphy at this point can do whatever he wants. And also he has shown he's not afraid to just sub people in and out during games yeah. and just figure out what will work for that day. And then you're probably riding the Fouts train in the circle. I uh, certainly, uh, certainly appears to be that case, but like you said, I think you can count on Salter to at least give you, you know, if you want to start with Salter once or twice through the lineup yeah. and then bring in Montana, like we did in uh, in game number two of this series. Especially if the opponent is Auburn, I, I think right. that they would not be expecting that. They also would not have seen her. And also we can't forget again, day to day means the day could be that day. Right. So Lexi Kilfoyle, as there far, is there is always a possibility that she could get the start at any point the rest of the year. As far as I know, she's coming to Gainesville. So, yes, her, her mom's coming because she mentioned bringing more food. Oh, so, yes, brownies. Mrs. Kilfoyle, yes. we thank you and love Come you. Come on in. Yes, indeed. Yeah, it, I think it kind of gives Patrick Murphy a little bit of you wish you had something more solid, like in stone that she could write down. But at the same time, it gives you a little bit of flexibility and maybe a little bit of mystery when you're preparing for it. Callie Hevlin certainly showed that she could be uh, a legitimate starter at second base or pretty much anywhere in the infield, however you want to do that to, to get her in the lineup. I mean, we saw even to the point of KJ Haney not being replaced on the base paths because yeah. Patrick Murphy wanted to keep her in the lineup because or whatever she's put in, she's on base. She is ranked in on base percentage. Right. Because she she's just drawing the walks. Yeah. Seeing Mary a strike. <laughs> I mean, it was it was it's been amazing. I think in her last three plate appearances, I think she has three walks on 12 pitches. I believe that's right. At worst, it's 13, 13. Right. There, there might be one strike that snuck <laughs> in there. That's all I can think of. Right. You, you have a lot of different ways you can go lineup wise, you know, especially game three. That's the most you know, mix and matching and subbing that I've seen Patrick Murphy do in a really long time, uh, a little bit by necessity, but also, you know, doing it matchup wise. Right. 
It was it was very Rachel Lawson esque. We made that reference, but I was like, "Am I in Lexington? Right? Did we just eat a sandwich named after a city? (laughs) What's going on?" There were only three right fielders, not seven. We didn't go full Lawson. Half Lawson. Yeah, just and that might be one of the sandwiches we ordered in Lexington. (laughs) That's a deep cut. Go back and listen to that episode from last year. Before we put it in play, Tom, let's talk a little bit about Patrick Murphy's induction into the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame. Mm. We were both there. We carpooled and everything. Mm -hmm. We were at the uh, banquet and the reception prior, and we heard all the speeches from the incredible class of 2022. And I will say this, as someone who's been to this banquet uh, a lot, just for various reasons. The the, the son of a (laughs) Hall of Famer. Yes. Well done, Robbie. It's not every year that all eight speeches are home runs. Sometimes you get into a snoozer. Sometimes somebody goes a little long. This year, all eight speeches, 1,000 out of 10. I mean, incredible stuff from everybody, balancing humor, humility, and a good message, keeping the crowd energized. It was an incredible night. Yeah, energy plus the waterworks going on. Oh, Jake Peavy just- Oh my gosh. Get the tissues. (laughs) So yeah, so it is a very prestigious Hall of Fame, the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame, and how much it meant to all the inductees that they were getting put in. I thought all the all the inductees, especially the ones that have either Alabama or, or Auburn connections, did a good job of reaching across the aisle mm-hmm. and, and making good. You know, we could all laugh at Justin Tuck, who's tried to say that that Notre Dame was better than him. <laughs> no, come on, it's either come on. You're you're now that was funny. I yeah, laughed about that. That was too. good stuff. Uh, <laughs> William Andrews saying that. He wanted to come to Auburn because on his visit, it reminded him of home because there were a lot of cows. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Just that, that was maybe the line of the night. Oh, although his story about his mama reading the paper, that was mm. some good stuff too. <laughs> and of course, our boy, Patrick Murphy, yes. the Alabama head coach, the Hall of Famer, now dual famer of Halls. Incredible speech. It's online and go look it up. I've got a video. If you see me at the SEC tournament, I can show you all four minutes and five seconds. It was really good stuff and you know we've seen Patrick Murphy show a lot of emotion in multiple ways throughout his career this though was something different that I I personally had not seen in at least a public setting when he was especially talking about his team right yeah you you really tell you know we talk about the Bama U family and, and and the Alabama softball family it is Patrick Murphy's family the program what he's created around the program but also the way that he feels and loves about his players especially the ending line was that he he has no children of his own but he has 20 daughters yeah oh it's just you know if you weren't crying already that one definitely (laughs) definitely busted the dam so you could just tell the love and appreciation that you know even the people that weren't softball people that were there you know they they could recognize and appreciate what he has done at Alabama and and a very deserving uh, hall of famer Murph, congrats. Yes. I know you're busy. You're probably not listening to this episode, but that's fine. Coach, we're proud of you. (laughs) Good work. Okay, Tom, time to advance the first. We've put it in play. Who are we? A lot of options in a way. I think we should, again, recognize Callie Hepburn. I agree. Let's do it. On the right side, we're putting it in play. Oppo. Going going with the pitch. Don't do too much. Heading to first. When we come back, awards. I've never seen an awards race in any category, movies, TV, sports, that has been this up in the air in so many ways, and we're going to talk about it, Tom. Okay, let's go. Let's do it. That's next, and we return here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast. Greg Robertson, Tom Canterbury. We have Callie Hevland it, and now we're advancing to first here on the podcast. 
the SEC. We're not going to spend a ton of time talking about what happened last week, and we're mainly going to focus on the tournament that's coming up and the awards discussions. Because last week I thought, you know, typically we find out the awards like as this episode will be coming out. Right. In 2019, we recorded the episode, I think on a Wednesday or maybe even a Tuesday after they had already been released. This year, they're not being sent out, I think, until Thursday or Friday. So we're going to have a, way, a bit of uh, time to think about it, which means we get to again discuss mm. all of the interesting cases for each award, including one award that's maybe opened up just slightly. Shall yeah. we go for it, Tom? Okay. Player of the year. Arkansas has got a problem. Mm. Who do you nominate? Because if you nominate multiple people, I think that would be a mistake. But if you pick one, I think that person probably wins. So honestly, who wins player of the year might be decided by how many names Courtney Diefel clicks. Right. Yeah. It's it's very odd because KB Sides, Lenny Malkin, and Daniel Gibson all have put up numbers player of the year worthy. It's a very rare situation where one team has that many legit player of the year nominees where if it were just them i would say yep sides wins if if it's sides versus coffle and mosley sides if it's malcolm versus coffle and mosley malcolm if it's gibson versus coffle and mosley i I think gibson would get my pick probably so but if it's all three of them then or (sighs) two of those three what what do you do i don't know which is why i think aaron coffle is probably going to you think aaron coffle is going to to pull the old the old Oscars scenario, we've got two people from the same movie in the same category, and then they both lose. Right. And somebody from a little indie nobody saw wins. Right. Yeah, I, I really think that's going to happen. I think Aaron Coffle is helped by the fact that Kentucky got the bye. Yeah. Even though they won it via technicality <laughs> because they beat South Carolina and then won the tiebreaker against LSU in Florida. Right. Congrats on your victory by disqualification. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. Honest to goodness, I, I think I'm just going to say someone from Arkansas will win. Yeah, and and just kind of leave it at that. I I really don't know. I mean, I think the scariest batter right now. We're going to talk in, with Jen in a bit. Uh, spoiler alert: We recorded that before we did the rest of the episode. I say Gibson. I actually agree with Jen. I, I think Malkin is probably the scariest bat, just because when she gets a hold of it, good God, sure. At the same time, KB at the top of the order, but also you'll hear in the interview. Someone in the leadoff spot doesn't typically win this award. So mm-hmm. what do the coaches value? How does the voting break down? There are a lot of ways this could go. You know, the coaches without are voting on this, they also can use their own eye test. And, you know, if, you know, it depends on which coach looks at, well, man, KB sides really dominated us. So we're going to go there. I think Tim Walton will vote for KB sides. Right. Last year after Arkansas won or won the share of the conference last year, and you know made super regionals but they lost you know a lot of their offense uh lost some of their power and you were wondering how are they going to replace that the fact that kb sides stepped in and kind of took their offense to another level even with the stats maybe showing more of malkin or gibson just the x factor that kb sides has brought into that arkansas lineup that might be the deciding factor for some of these coaches it's so fun. Honestly, I am very excited to be surprised. Yeah. I don't know who's going to win it. I feel like every year we've done this podcast, we've had a, we, we've had a really good idea of who was going to take home that award. Right. We, so. we, yeah, we were pretty sure, you know, like last year, we Bailey Hill should win this award. Yes. We, we were, we, we have known who is going to be this year. It, it could be literally any of these five or maybe some wild card might sneak in. You can nominate as many people as you want from a team 
everybody could be nominated potentially for this. Right. There are a lot of ways it could go. Basically, what we're saying is IDK and next. <laughs> Pitcher of the year. We thought it was Shanice Dels. 1,000%. I thought she might win it unanimously. I'm pretty sure Montana Faust is going to get some votes. And I think that there is a case, albeit probably not a gigantic one, but there is a case for Montana to win the award. You look at ERAs. Dels at 187. This is all conference play stats, by the way. Fouts at 285. Dels with a 9-1 and record. Fouts 11-5. and So the five losses, that does stick out. Yeah. Montana. The five losses in the ERA. Other than that. Innings sorry, pitched heavily in favor of Fouts. Strikeouts dominating. Opposing batting average pretty much the same. Dels, while I would say she became their number one statistically, she wasn't. Mary Half did throw more innings in SEC play than Dels did. Now I'm pretty sure she's not going to get a nomination from Courtney Diefel because I think Diefel's going to put all her chips in sure. on Dells. Yeah. But I, I think you could make an argument for Montana Faust to win this award. I still think Dells is going to take it, but I wouldn't be totally surprised if we got another co situation, another co with another Arkansas pitcher. That'd be, oh, Lord. that'd be crazy. And you know, you're looking at, yeah, Mary half did throw uh, four more innings in conference play than Shanice Dells did. 2019 Montana Fouts threw one more inning than Sarah Cornell did. So it's not, that doesn't necessarily eliminate you. Um, right. You know, if you're, and as we've talked about, number one. you know, the reason a, a lot of people say, well, why did Montana win pitcher of the year? Well, because Alabama did not nominate her. They nominated her for freshman and Sarah for pitcher so that they would both win awards because they both had the best cases in those categories. And that's what happened. Right. So we'll see, we'll see how that goes, but Definitely the last few weeks, especially Montana Fouts has been from not really being considered to, you know, being the, at least the number two uh, has really put her name in there. The fact that she's Montana Fouts, she's the people's queen. She's the face of softball in America, all the things it gets her back in the conversation for sure. Plus she has the stats now to back it up. Bottom line. Don't be shocked if Montana's name pops up. There is a case to be made there especially if an Arkansas player wins player of the year. That's the other factor here. And, and they're going to win coach of the year. It's really, I don't think it's been done since 2010. You've had somebody sweep coach player and pitcher. And that, by the way, I'm pretty sure it was Alabama in 2010 who did that. Kelsey Dunn, uh, Charlotte Morgan and Patrick Murphy. So, and, and since then we've had teams run through the league right. dominate and yeah. not even sweep. Yeah. So perhaps that is something else at the forefront of these coaches' minds. I think that too helps Montana's case. The exactly. fact that if Arkansas wins player of the year, these coaches might want to spread the wealth a little bit more because that's what we've seen in the last decade. We'll see. It makes it so interesting. <laughs> I genuinely right. don't know. <laughs> last year I, I was pretty confident. I was like, Mary Half is is probably going to be right there because of the narrative and because of how well she's pitched. Montana statistically is right there. I picked Mary. I said Montana probably deserved it, and they both got it. So there you go. So, right. you know, perhaps it could be the same deal here because Dells has a great narrative as well. Right. Yeah. The co is a definite possibility. I, I think it, I think we could very much see that. Could we say a co – we didn't talk about it. Could we see a co-player of the year? Maybe. If the vote splitting is real, maybe. Yeah. Like legitimately two Arkansas co-player of the years. <laughs> Uh, all right, freshman of the year. I don't even know if this is again, worth much oxygen. Again, who? who? Callie Hevlin. The best case here <laughs> is Katie Dak at 12th place A&M, wow. who hit 314 with 18 RBI, and she's had like a home run every time I turn on an Aggie game. Katie Dak is hitting some crazy rise ball at the top of the zone, like by her eyes, out of the yard. 
I honestly don't know. I, I, if I had to actually make a bet, I think it would be Lara Boutte at Tennessee, just because she's been a pretty consistent staple at the top of that lineup. But I have no idea. Yeah, and I th- nobody nobody blew up this weekend right. to the point where I thought that they could settle it. I think the freshman of the year is the award that you are most able to give to a player on a team lower in the standings. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that helps Dak's case. Yeah. It's really, I mean, unless somebody hits like 800, it's really difficult for somebody in like a Haley Lee position to win player of the year. But freshman of the year, I think it can be done. So I think mm-hmm. Dak might be, uh, might be the one. Okay, I'll, I'll throw in one more possibility that honestly we probably should have talked about a little bit more. Are we forgetting about our friend, I'm in love with the Coco Woolly? Hitting 342 in conference play, that's by far better than all the batting averages I have on this list. The problem is she's the nine-hole hitter. And it's tough for leadoff hitters to win awards. Nine-hole hitters, that's like daggum impossible. Yeah, but again, similar to being somebody in the bottom of the standings, I think if it's going to happen, it's probably going to be a freshman. Yeah. Freshman of the year type thing. When, you, when you're in a type of season like this one is where you have a lot of really good freshmen but they've all been freshmen all year long and they've had their, their rough spots. I'm going to stick with Boutte. I'm going to stick with my gut and right. with the midseason award winner. I'll go with Dak. Okay. Probably both going to be wrong. I have yeah, no idea. Probably so. Caitlin Riley at Ole Miss. <laughs> I mean, who knows? Okay, Tom, let's both pick one or two things that really stuck out to us from this past weekend in the SEC. I'll let you go first. What, what jumps off the page? Very surprised that Ole Miss won two out of three against Georgia the way that they did it. You know, Georgia run rules them in game number one, and then Ole Miss really fights back on the road to get that series victory. Uh, That was an impressive performance by the Rebels. Totally with you. I said that on the In the Circle podcast, like the exact opposite of what they did last year. Right. Last year, they went into that downward spiral at the end of the regular season, never got better in the postseason. This year, they closed the regular season with a two out of three series win against Tennessee and winning two out of three against a Georgia team that I assume – you know, the scores maybe don't say it, but I assume they were really motivated because they had a lot to play for and they missed their chance. I will jump in and say LSU. You know, they blew it. A hardcore blew it uh, against Mississippi State. They had a chance to get a top four seed miraculously considering where they were a couple weeks ago. They would have, again, been in a really good spot for bracketology, although no spoilers. I don't think I heard them that much that they lost game three. But mistakes, Mississippi State getting the timely hit. Bulldogs get the victory then they will meet again in the SEC tournament on Wednesday. Interesting how many like automatic replays we're getting like right away is a rematch, right? You know, two or three times in the tournament. Uh, But yeah, I I thought that was kind of a microcosm of what LSU has been this year. Yep. Just the inability to sustain any momentum when they've had success. Also congrats to South Carolina winning game one against Kentucky, but everything after that Mm. did not go amazing. And A&M getting a a victory over Arkansas. It's true. A&M do it. Something about firework Friday. The last few weeks Man. at Davis Diamond. They they love those fireworks. And ironically, both the upsets over Alabama and Arkansas, AM scored six runs. So the closest fireworks I've ever seen, too. They were right so loud. Oh you could like feel the yes. heat. It was the craziest thing. I was, I was like, is this actually is the fire marshal watching? They got that money though. So no, that's true. They can do it. Yeah. All right, let's look at the SEC tournament. I've got the bracket in front of us. If you want to take a look at it, go to the SEC website. They've got printable brackets as well as one that will be updated daily with the scores. Tom, let's look at, you know, I'm going to take out AM South Carolina. Right. Sorry. Yeah. What game on Wednesday or potential game on Thursday fires you up the most? Well, 
because the winner plays Alabama, but because I'm not really sure what's going to happen. The battle of the Tigers between Missouri and Auburn is going to be very interesting. Auburn coming off of being swept by Tennessee to end the regular season. They might have the type of pitching, depending on how Matty Pence is going, if, if Lowe is available, that can do to Missouri what Alabama did to Missouri. And if that, if that happens, I think Auburn can win that game. If not, if either Pence is not on or, you know, they're, where Missouri does get to the Auburn pitching, then I think Missouri win and may win easily. It's going to be interesting because if Auburn does win that game, does Penta go again against Alabama or is it a KK Dismukes game if Lowe's still not ready to go? And, you know, she's trying, she's really trying, but just the effectiveness isn't there from last year. Just the whole Florida thing. What happens with the Gators? I feel like we've seen this movie before. They limped into the 2019 SEC tournament and then Kelly Barnhill was like, you know what? Let's win this and then go right. on a run to OKC. Now there's no Kelly Barnhill this year. That's the diff- that's the big difference. But yeah, it's still Florida. And yeah. so, and they're still at home. So I think that there is absolutely a world where they can go on a run. I think Florida, Kentucky has the potential to be off the wall bonkers. But at the same time, AM has the draw if they want it. They've got a path if they want to make a trip to the semifinals, but it'll take a little bit of everything that they've got. A lot of mixing and matching. They'll need every pitcher to throw a lot of innings. I think that that section of the bracket in general just intrigues me the most because I honestly don't know what ha- what will happen besides the fact that South Carolina will lose to a <laughs> Right, yeah. Like you said, the, I think the big difference between the Florida team this year and the 2019 team that made that run is they don't have a Barnhill that can pitch them there. Uh, so they're going to have to do it offensively. And that offense just has not shown the consistency to be able to do it over a two or three game period. I could see them beating an A&M that way, but I, it's hard for me to see them making a run to Friday or Saturday with the offense doing what they normally do. All right, let's talk narratives. As always, I say the narrative wins. And right now there is a narrative for Alabama where in the semifinals, you play Tennessee, Ali Shipman's old team. Mm. And if you win that, in the championship, you would take on Arkansas and KB sides. If I were betting narratives solely, that feels like a real possibility, not just because of the narratives, obviously, but also that would be the favorites. It could legit happen, right? <laughs> yes, yeah, that it, would be it chalky. Actually, it could actually be chalk if that's what goes on. Uh, yeah, and there's the uh, a road as well for Alabama where they play only teams that they did not play during the regular season as well. Right. If, if Auburn wins and it'd be Alabama, Auburn, they did not play. Love that for boarding purposes. Right. Yes. Uh, Alabama and Tennessee did not play during the regular season. And then Alabama and Arkansas did not play during the regular season. Right. So in some ways, I think if you're Alabama, you would want that because you want teams that have not faced Montana Fouts at least recently. I think Missouri is probably honestly about the worst case scenario because I I think that you could argue Missouri is a team who has played Alabama the toughest in all three games. Right. Yeah. Those were three just nip and tuck games. Wars. Yeah, absolute. And then so, but I think if you're Alabama, the fact that you do have that bye and Missouri will be coming off of already playing a game, giving Montana as much rest as possible before that matchup with Missouri could be the best case. It's going to be a fun week. We're going to pick it later in the show. The full thing? The full thing beyond AM South Carolina. Well, we've picked that already. Yeah, we, we both know where we're going with that. Yeah. It's time for Gray's FGCL Corner. Okay. Are you prepared? I am. This is the final FGCL player of the week. Okay. That's so sad. But first, we've got some news and notes because conference awards are coming out, and we've got some FGCLers who have won things. Oh, nice. Yes. Including 
Melissa Mayu, your Week 12 FGCL Player of the Week. She's the reigning Player of the Week. That's right. Yes. Sunbelt Player of the Year with Louisiana. Wow. Congratulations, Melissa. You were nominated multiple times for our award. I feel like this probably matters more to you. Maybe a little bit. But either way, well done. There's an actual physical award that she gets for that one. So congrats. Hat tipped. <laughs> Devin Howard at Liberty. First team, a son. Kate Houston, who crushed it this year. First team, all Sunbelt at Appalachian State. And Stormy Kotzelnik, second team, all Sunbelt with Louisiana. I went through pretty much every conference. That was at about two o'clock. So maybe I missed some this afternoon, but I don't think so. And uh, next week, we'll try and make sure that we shout out everybody who won some kind of conference award, because based on the winner's list and all the stats you've been tracking, Tom, it could be a pretty long list. Yeah, there should be certainly some uh, players that, that win big time awards. And just the two, these two Raging Cajuns that won uh, kind of shows that Louisiana, you know, finished the year on, on a high note. And those two wins for Alabama are, are now back to being good wins. Yeah, Louisiana back in the top 30 of yeah. the RPI, which is very helpful. Should we pick this week's player of the week? Okie dokie. Paige from Villanova. She's back, Tom. Yes. Dame Judy Dench. Yes, M. I'm going to stand up. <laughs> Bloody Bond. Paige incredible week. In the circle, this isn't really what got her here. Three innings, five hits, two runs, both earned a walk and a strikeout. But at the plate, four for nine, three RBI, three walks and two strikeouts, including a game-winning two RBI single in the seventh to win four to three in game three against UConn. Now, UConn did win games one and two to clinch the Big East, but good job on Pedro to make sure no sweep happens. FGCL on FGCL crime. Yes, I should also mention congratulations to Nikki Cuccio on staff at Connecticut. Their first time winning the Big East in like 20 years. I don't think that's like just a coincidence. Yeah. yeah. Nikki's a pretty smart person and UConn started really going once she got there. So great job to all involved. Yes. Well done, everyone. Speaking of Oscars, Merrill has returned. <laughs> Mac yes. Leonard. Florida State, six for 11, three RBI, a home run, two doubles, two walks, and a run scored. And in the circle, inning and two thirds, a hit, a run. It was earned a walk and two strikeouts. Partially on this list because Florida State's entire team, as well as NC State's, deserves a lot of credit for fighting through what had to be a terrible weekend of rain delays and postponements and doubleheaders pushed to different days. Oh. So good job to all involved for somehow getting in three games. And then Florida State deciding we'll just hit all the homers. <laughs> if Sydney Sherrill were FGCLer, <laughs> already decided. Okay, now we get to the fun stuff because a lot of people did stuff that directly impacted their conference races. Neely Herring at Wichita State. Three for seven, four RBI, a home run, three walks, two strikeouts, and three runs scored. For the Shockers, hit the game-tying Grand Slam in the fifth in game one against UCF to tie that one up at four. The Shockers would win game one. UCF won games two and three to clinch the American, but Neely Herring kept Wichita State alive. Got out the mustard and the rye bread. Mm-hmm. Bree Roper, Ole Miss. Six for 11, two RBI, a double, four walks, three strikeouts, and three runs scored. Hit the go-ahead RBI single in the fourth in the 4-2 win in game three against Georgia, which, of course, had a lot of SEC tournament ramifications as well for not only Ole Miss and Georgia, but also, ironically, Missouri. Right. So that was a very impactful hit by Bree Roper. Kaitlin Cooper, Louisiana Tech, two for eight, three RBI, a triple, a double, 
three strikeouts and a run scored hit the walk-off three RBI triple in game three against Southern Miss to win it eight, seven and clinch the outright conference USA championship. And by the way, that was a game again, they won eight, seven, they trailed seven to three going into the seventh. And that basis clearing triple was with two outs, man. That is drama right there. Pretty dang clutch. Well done, Caitlin Cooper. Uh, Lauren Hobbs and Lizzie Schubert. Stetson. Shuby technically not eligible, but I'm pairing her with Hobbsy here. Lauren Hobbs goes eight and a third, nine hits, nine runs, all earned seven walks and eight strikeouts. That's not super great, but she secured the save to give Liberty their first loss in a sum play in game three of that series. It was a seven to six win for Stetson. Now, how did Stetson get there? Well, because Lizzie Schubert hit a clutch seventh inning grand slam at Liberty to win it seven to six. That was her second home run of the day, Tom. So the Stetson gals get a, a, a joint nomination. They had double hatters. This is so good. There's so many people who impacted races. Morgan Scott, UNC Greensboro, 21 innings pitched, 19 hits, seven runs, six earned, five walks, 13 strikeouts through every inning for UNCG in their final conference championship deciding series against Samford. Won game one, lost game two, and then came back and won game three, which is almost more miraculous. Samford, who's not a bad team, was seeing her a third time and she clinched the Southern Conference title for UNC Greensboro. Wow. That's great stuff. <laughs> and then finally, an honorary nomination. She's not eligible for the win, but I want to make sure that we talked about her. Taylor Gilmore at Colorado State. An inning and two-thirds, seven hits, four runs, all earned, one walk, and three strikeouts. This is her final year of eligibility. We were DMing before the season. She was saying, Gray, I'm, I'm sorry I'm hurt. Uh, I'm not going to pitch this year. It sucks, but I get to still be with the team. And we talked about it, and she said, you know, I'm just grateful I get this chance to, to play with Colorado State and to be around the team one more year. Well, I was going through the Colorado State UNLV box scores and my eyes popped out because Taylor Gilmore pitched in game three, had those stats. She was cleared a couple days ago, got the chance to come back and pitch. I, I put her on this list because I know how much it meant to her to get that last chance. So Taylor, congratulations. Based on what how you sounded at the beginning of the year, rehab must have been real tough, but you <laughs> found a way through it. And I just want to make sure we highlighted that performance. Awesome story. Awesome story. All right. Now the hard part's on you, partner. Mm. You got to pick two finalists. Two. Two. Oh, yeah. Ooh, I will go a walk-off RBI triple to win the conference. Overall numbers, not the best, but that huge clutch number. I'll go Caitlin Cooper from La, La Tech and then uh, Morgan Scott from UNC Greensboro pitching all three games to clinch their conference title opinion we've got co-champions co-champions Co in honor of what will probably happen in the sec awards well you could also have a player and a pitcher okay let's not get ridiculous okay, all right, all right, all right, let's not go crazy. caitlin cooper and morgan scott are your <laughs> co-fgcl players of the week because both were phenomenal edging of the bets that's well right done. so uh, next time out probably at the end of the year we'll do our fgcl player of the year okay tom that's a lot of the way mm -hmm. it's time to get crazy Mm. About five minutes into our interview with Jen Schroeder, we threw out the outline right. and just chatted freely. Well, she took it over. She's like, this is what we're going to talk like, about. We're going like, to talk about right. Tara. I was like, all right, Oklahoma fans, go after Jen. Yes, we wanted We wanted to. We were going to do a whole segment on just Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, but no, Jen said no. <laughs> I refuse to talk about that. 
Okay. Uh, We've got the sign <laughs> from the Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer, Patrick Murphy, telling us to go. We're on our way. We are stealing second with Jen Schroeder when we come back here on the Out of the Box Podcast. <laughs> Second with our friend from ESPN, from the Seven Innings podcast, podcast and TV show, and so much more, by the way, coming up in the next few weeks. And of course, also from the Bruin Bubble, Jen Schroeder is here. What's up, Shro? How are you? Yeah, I love the Bruin Bubble shout out, especially after yesterday's game. Are we going to talk about that? Oh, it's like bullet point number two. It's coming, up. <laughs> coming up very soon. But Jen, we, we've got to talk about this whole weekend. Every time I refresh the scoreboards, I was like, did that, did that really just happen? I mean, Friday night alone, we had four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and 11 in the RPI all lose. Was this the craziest weekend you've ever seen? Uh, for this, this year, most definitely. And I love that I text you saying, oh, what a mix up. And your response was, but is it really? Because everyone kept losing. So I don't know. I feel like the polls actually had a little bit of shakeup. That D1 poll was surprising to me a little bit. Uh, but this weekend, I don't think a even really good betting man could have betted on the teams that lost or more so when they lost, right? Like ASU just crushing UCLA game one, then UCLA coming back and then it being a really tight game or even your guys' Mizzou series was just a great series in my opinion. That was probably one of the more predictable series in the weekend, I think, which that's saying a lot alone. Yeah, it was the only series we both picked correctly. Right. So we, we both said I, I, right along line, those so lines. Yeah. yeah. Out, yeah. <laughs> uh, but you mentioned the the Arizona State uh, UCLA series and uh, the Sun Devils take two out of three from the Bruins and really have now the inside track on winning the Pac-12. Just your thoughts on that series. Well, to be honest, right now, I just don't feel like UCLA is playing well. And so I was just talking to Tara Henry probably 30 minutes ago. And I think that UCLA not playing well makes Arizona seem like they played better this past weekend, which to be honest, I don't feel like either teams necessarily played really well all three games. I think ASU made a statement game one. They were so well-prepared for Megan Faramo. Honestly, they were well-prepared for all the arms. The game plans that they had going against the UCLA offense, I mean, they just 1,000% were better. But on the weekend, it is more evident to me that the Pac-12 is just down as a conference. And I hate that I continue to admit this because for about a decade, you could not get me to say that the SEC was as strong as it is. And now there is just no denying how tough the SEC conference is. So for me, that series really just pounded home that that the SEC is so good and the ACC is getting better every single year and the Pac-12 better do something about it. Where, where do you think this puts ASU? Because kind of recent history that was the type of series where ASU would get to that point and then UCLA would knock them down uh does this you know where, where does ASU go from here well ASU can hit which what makes it really intriguing is when I look at statistics across the SEC if we're just going to assume that it's going to be a competition down the line SEC Pac-12 when it comes to super regionals in the world series right so with that assumption in mind it's scary that ASU can hit because in my opinion, statistically, the SEC is down in pitching this year. 
So that's what makes the ACC a little bit of the scare factor with the Dukes, Virginia Techs, and Florida States of the world because they can kind of do it all, right? They can pitch, they can defend, they can hit a little bit. ASU's offense is straight up scary, and the fact that they're getting it done one through nine freshmen to senior is what, to me, makes them the biggest X-factor team in the NCAA tournament. And if they were coming to my house for Super Regionals, I would be incredibly nervous. Do not watch. You should have seen Tom's face last week when I had Alabama-Arizona State matched up in my bracketology. No, thank you. No. <laughs> so how happy are you guys that Arizona State took that series, which probably limits the chances of Real. Arizona State going to Alabama? Yes, very exciting. Right? <laughs> But I did want to ask Jim, because I feel like there's a little bit of a correlation between our two teams, Alabama and UCLA, because I feel like the last few weeks, UCLA was doing a better job of actually winning the games, but their offense has been struggling too. Alabama's had some issues with situational hitting. They've been getting a lot of hits, just not at the right times. UCLA, you know, the entire Utah series was a struggle bus offensively. What's the fix for both of these teams to get out of it? Or is it just simply a matter of fact of executing better? You know, I think that there are a lot of correlations between Alabama and UCLA, but then again, there isn't only because UCLA continues to be injured and they're trying to figure out their lineup. So Savannah Pola was out of the lineup this whole weekend. Seneca Kuro had to step in. You've got Alyssa Garcia now hitting Delaney playing third. Like they have had to mix up their lineup. If you were to go look at their lineups from February to now, they've probably had 12 to 15 iterations of who's hitting in what spot, maybe more, uh, where with Alabama, they're actually getting hits. They're just not producing runs. Uh, UCLA is scary to me right now, as in uh, I'm scared as a fan, not as in their offense is scary, right? <laughs> uh, where they're just not getting it done. Talent-wise, do they have it? Yeah, no doubt about it. They're extremely talented, but they're just not getting it done. So they've got to figure it out. Uh, what gives Alabama the edge to me, which we're seeing that in the polls, uh, is that I think Alabama is winning the ball games that UCLA can't right now. Arizona, this is all of a sudden a really precarious bubble case. When we went to Tucson week one and Alabama beat the Wildcats, we're thinking this is a quality win, sticking point. This could be what gives Alabama some big bump in the seedings. And now the Wildcats are in danger of missing the NCAA tournament for the first time in like decades ever. Yeah. ever? <laughs> Mike Andrea's first year as a coach, which God, is wow. interesting because it's obviously Caitlin Lowe's first year as a coach. So that always kind of gives you the heebie-jeebies, right? Like does history repeat itself? It's not a good thing to repeat at all. Uh, I think Arizona gets in. Do you think they get in? I think they get in, but I understand what you're saying as far as bubble. It's important that they that they don't struggle uh, in this final weekend because losing two out of three to a Cal team that was probably the one Pac-12 team nobody thought would be in is not great from this past weekend. I you know I just don't know what the problem is because watching the the Oregon series you know I, I think it was the Thursday night throwdown game right where they just exploded and right. I thought it looks like they've turned the corner but since then I, I haven't gotten eyes on them but it's been a lot of nothing. I feel like the Pac-12 in general is extremely unpredictable. If you looked at UCLA, for example, in the beginning of the season, you thought, oh God, they're dominant, right? And then ASU, here they come creeping, knocking on the door. You looked at Washington, the beginning of the season, you're like, they're going to be a two seed at a regional or a three seed, maybe at a regional. Uh, they're going to travel for everything. 
And now more than ever, this series this weekend, ASU at Washington seems to be really important, I think, for ASU. I think that they need to win if they want to host. So it's really interesting. Do you think ASU could creep in there as a top eight seed? I've got them there now. Spoiler alert for bracketology oh, coming in a bit. Ooh. I've got them there now, Jen. Wow. Ooh, because- I'm wondering because last weekend was dominant, right? To take two or three from UCLA is huge. But then what if you go to Seattle and you drop two games or even when you drop a game? Because you're expecting to sweep now at this point, right? Yeah. Well, I, I think you're certainly expecting to win the series. Uh, and I, I should note when I make this bracketology, I'm basing it on right now. And then I'm giving teams credit if they've either locked up the conference or it sure looks like they're going to win it. So I've given Arizona state a bit of a bump in that regard and, you know, beating UCLA actually made their profile pretty much across the board, very similar to UCLA's whom I had considered a supers lock for a while. So I was like, well, shoot, I guess we're moving Arizona state past UCLA. (laughs) Wait, are you saying that you don't have UCLA locked as a supers host? Oh no, I do. But now Arizona state is, is uh, as well. Yes. Mm -hmm. I I would say they're both at 99.8%. Not quite 100%. Okay. Fair, fair. But I want, I really want to talk about the sec tournament guys. And I want to talk about sec player of the year prediction. Oh no. Oh, wow. (laughs) I really want to. You're I don't ahead. I'm on an SEC no, podcast. I, I want. I want to talk about it. We have so much to talk about, but okay. Well, okay. okay. I guess you guys write the schedule, not me. You write the itinerary. <laughs> no, I'm no. <laughs> it's okay because this will just make Oklahoma fans think that we right, still even hate more them. Bad. So we're going to we were going to ask about Oklahoma, now, but no, let's get we'll, we'll get to okay. Oklahoma later. We can we can talk a little bit about Oklahoma actually if you want. <laughs> All right, let's 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 talk about OU because okay. we discussed in the group chat a lot. How OU, you know, they had a good series. They swept Oklahoma State. That's great. They're locked in as the one seed. No one will challenge them that uh, 100% set in stone. I I think pretty much all of their runs, I'd have to go back and look, but the majority of them in the series against Oklahoma State were scored in innings where the Cowgirls gave them things, hit by pitches, walks, errors that kept innings going. What do you make of that? I think Oklahoma is going to lose in the postseason, and I do not think Oklahoma is going to be the national champion. Whoa! <laughs> as as I said, go ahead, Jen. Me and Jen, add on, add on the I, limb together. Comes I, back. That's, it, this is not based on statistics. This is based on pure feeling. And honestly, it was this morning. I was at breakfast with Kyle, with my husband, and he asked me, we were talking about the SEC tournament, and he asked me, who do you think is going to win? And my brain just went to the World Series for some reason. I didn't realize he was asking me about the SEC tournament. And I said, you know what? I don't think Oklahoma's going to win. He's like, what are you talking about, Jen? They're not in the SEC. I'm like, oh, shoot. Like, my brain just went to this place of already thinking about World Series. And it was just this gut feeling that I had. I can't explain it. I don't have reasoning. They are very talented. They are so good. They can hit. They've got pitching. They, Grace Lyons is impressing me more and more every single weekend. There is just something that, okay, I'm going to say it. They seem to be getting lucky, which is crazy when you are putting up the numbers that they are, but they're giving up hit by pitches, walks, but they're getting the big hit when it matters. They are, they just seemingly are getting lucky. And I feel like at some point that luck has to run out. And so my big bold prediction is that Oklahoma is not going to win the world series. I feel like I've done all the talking. Sorry, Tom, no. but yeah, you know, I, I, I think you're right. You know, because 
in some of the games where teams haven't given OU anything, we've seen things be really tight. I think of the two nothing UAB game. I think of the Baylor game. And when Baylor did give something, that's when OU pounced. To their credit, no team maybe ever in the history of the sport has done a better job of taking advantage of opponents' mistakes. But that, to me, makes a team like Florida State the ultimate nightmare matchup for Oklahoma because I think that's the kind of team that can play a perfect game against OU. So I'm getting goosebumps great because this morning, okay, I have never truly been all bought in on Florida State. It's, I know what it is. I know what it is. They beat UCLA at the World Series back in 18. And we as alumni went out with some of their support staff and all of us alumni thought we were going to kick the you know what out of them. And they were a little bit of shit talkers and I didn't like it. And then they beat us. And I have a sour spot in my mouth still to this day about that. And so I cannot be bought in on Florida State simply for that selfish reason. With all that said, this morning at breakfast, when I when Kyle asked me, I said, I think Florida State's going to win. That's what I said. And I can't believe those words came out mm. of my mouth. And my reason being is simply because every big TV game they've had this year, they have come out and play played incredible softball. And just taking that and putting it on the stage of the World Series, of every game on TV, it just seems like it's a perfect combination of them getting it done. Now, do I want them to win? No, sorry, Coacha. Sorry, Sydney Cheryl. I don't, again, I just have this thing against them. I have to say it, even though I love, I love them all. It's just a real sour spot for me. Well, and I'll, I'll throw in, I'm not predicting Florida State to win the national championship, but I okay. think that what we're describing is Florida State because they're the kind of team that really doesn't give you anything. No. I was just going to say, after the last five games that Alabama's played against Florida State, I have the reflex booing of certain Florida State players myself. So I understand what you're saying, but uh, but for sure, they they have the they have kind of the makeup to be the type of team that can beat Oklahoma. They I just really hope, do. I just hope they do it in the semifinals, and then hopefully Alabama can play Florida State for the national championship. No, yeah. Exercise all those So teams. excited about yeah, that. Yeah, very potential. excited for a matchup with the Seminoles. Also, you guys know what I just learned about an hour ago is that now with the new bracket format of the World Series, if you lose day one, you play day two, which before losers sat. So right. there's a chance to go 0-2, and, and the bracket does not flip-flop. So you stay on your own side of the bracket, which I think makes this World Series even more interesting because before, let's say you lost game one, two games down the line, you now swap and play the winner from the other side. And I thought at times that gave the loser an advantage at times, because if you win game one, you got to immediately play game two. And now you're going off of a win. This happened Florida State, UCLA way back when. Clearly, I have trauma about this, okay? And I need probably some therapy. But uh, I think it act, this now gives the winners more of an advantage than the losers because the brackets don't flip-flop. Well, speaking of the SEC tournament, though, back to that. Uh, that is coming up with the Gets Things Started on Tuesday, and then we'll crown champion on Saturday. After, Especially after this past weekend, uh, it is going to be the most unpredictable tournament maybe in the entire uh, nation. So I'm going to ask you, Jen Schroeder, to predict it. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> there is no way. I figured we were going to talk about this. So I had already obviously seen the brackets, but I just went through more of a closer look. And like the second and third time I looked at the brackets, the more I realized I have no idea who's going to win what game. 
I don't have a clue. I think the only thing I'll, I'll predict is that A&M could sneak some wins in there that I think they needed. I, I think they're on a good side of the bracket. Uh, the Auburn-Mizzou game right away, I don't have a clue. It would be something special if Florida could somehow win this tournament in Gainesville. The chance of that happening, I don't know, about zero. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I say that jokingly, kind of. Um, We're not. I'm know, with you. <laughs> I, it's interesting because I do think Arkansas is in a good position to win as far as where they are in the bracket. But as much as you guys know, I love Arkansas. I have a soft spot for them because my sister played there. I just feel like when you're a new team in a really old tournament and you're the team that used to not make the tournament, right? You're the team that used to have to, uh, you were sitting out as everyone else played before all 13 went in. I, I think it's really tough to win this tournament. I think it's really hard. And so I think Alabama could definitely win. And I'm not just saying that because I'm on your guys' podcast. I think when you have the tradition of Alabama Tradition doesn't graduate. You know how to win in big situations. And I think that's something that Arkansas uh, is learning how to do. And I've been impressed by them. That, uh, to win every single series in the SEC, that is a huge growing moment for that program. But I just don't know if they have the tradition that the Alabamas and Floridas have. Well, and we kind of discussed this a little bit earlier in the show, but I think with Arkansas, almost the tougher game for them in this tournament is having to play the winner of Ole Miss Georgia versus their potential semifinal matchup, whether it's Kentucky or Florida or maybe A&M, honestly. Right. Like, I feel like the biggest chance to stub their toe before the championship is with either Ole Miss or Georgia. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. I saw that and that definitely popped off the page to me as well. Uh, because I think that a Georgia-Arkansas game would be just a crazy game. I mean, if we were to predict the score of that, like what do you think that would be? Eight, seven, seven, six? I'm taking the over. Like that, That's, right? Yeah. It's just, it would be a really high scoring game. Uh, I also, oh shoot, I was going to make a point and I lost it. Uh, I also... This is not the point I was going to make, but it's another point I have is I don't necessarily think wins in this tournament are as important for a team like Arkansas, where I think wins in this tournament are exceptionally important for the A&Ms and Floridas of the world. So when you're playing with that on your shoulders, I think a lot of times that fuels you into a little bit more success. I, I also think that if you're Arkansas and you stub your toe a little bit, that gives me more hope for them in the tournament, which sounds a little backwards, but when you can learn from losses, I think that propels you into further growth than cruising. Uh, with a team like Kentucky, who was able to sneak in to get the bye as the four seed, a team that you don't know who's going to be pitching. Who? Who is pitching? Who is pitching for Kentucky when you don't know? Does that actually kind of help a team like the Wildcats in a tournament format where uh, even more so than usual, whoever you're playing has no idea what you're going to throw out there? Oh, absolutely. Especially because with something like the SEC tournament, you were not having a ton of time to prepare, watch video. You're really just relying on who you've seen, what you've done all year long. Rachel Lawson is, is also an incredible coach. She's just one of the best minds in our game. And so I never count her out in something like the SEC tournament. 
What other storylines from the SEC tournament stick out to you? Jen Schroeder from ESPN, Seven Innings Podcast. Oh, man. Well, I just want to know who's going to be the player of the year in the conference. Okay, that's next. So let's dive in. Let's go. I can't stop thinking about it or talking about it. And I think that Courtney Diefel, I don't exactly know how player of the years are picked in the SEC. It's different in every in every conference. I do know that in the SEC, they only base it on SEC statistics. So I do know that. I think if you're Courtney Diefel, who got the job in what, 2016? If you had to guess that five years from that point when she got that job, that you would be the team that didn't make the tournament to having three people who you could potentially nominate as a player of the year candidate, it's a really good problem to have, but it's also a really tough place to be. And then you've got the Aaron Coffles and the Sarah Mosleys of the world who are putting up insane statistics. I did not realize that KB Sides had the SEC that she had until I dove into the stats last night. I did not think, I, I didn't think it at all. Middle of the SEC, I thought Gibson was a lock. I thought she was going to be the player of the year. I really did. And then when I look at Arkansas's SEC statistics and I see Lenny Malkin leading multiple SEC categories, but when I look at KB and what she's done as far as walks, Long ball, run scored, on base percentage, stolen bases. Her production on all parts of the game has been really impressive. But I know, Gray, you and I were talking last night, and the last time a leadoff hitter won player of the year in the SEC was Kelsey Stewart, who hit close to 600 in conference. What was it? Five, 560? It was stupid. It was. You sent it to me. I'm like, this has to be a typo, right? So... It is really interesting. You have no idea how people will vote. And then also you could have, you know, the Arkansas, depending on how many they nominate, could cancel each other out, split their vote, and somebody like a Koffel could sneak in. I, I can't predict what Courtney or their staff's going to do. I really can't. I can just say that when I actually looked at SEC stats, I was very impressed with KB sides and I did not realize that across the board, she was having that great of an sec. Cause it really is impressive what she's done, but that's not to say Lenny Malkin and Daniel Gibson haven't been impressive as well. Cause they obviously have nor and Sarah Mosley and Aaron Koppel and Haley Lee and all these other people who are having great secs. Uh, it's, I will say this. I, I think I'll ask a different question and see if this okay. impacts how, how you think this could play out. Who are you most afraid of? Who is the scariest bat right now in the SEC? I think my answer would be Daniel Gibson. I think I would say Lenny Malkin. Okay. In the SEC, like just who's the scariest hitter? Just right in the now. SEC? If we, if you're throwing in the SEC tournament right now, who do you not want to see in the box? Who are you? Who are you intentionally walking? Yes. Almost regardless. Because yeah, I think I think you intentionally walk Daniel Gibson. I do. Uh, I think. I think it's a tough question because I think that if either all three of those girls come up to bat with a base open, you intentionally walk them. I mean, KB has seven home runs in the SEC from the leadoff. Yeah. And like 18 or 19 walks. Who has that much production with that many walks? Well, as we talked about earlier in the show, what, what's nice about this is we have no idea. 
Honestly, all of these awards there. I mean, we thought last week Shanice Dells had pitcher of the year wrapped up now. And I thought it would be unanimous. Now I think Montana is going to get at least a couple votes. It's all of the awards are pretty much somewhat interesting, which I feel like has never been the case before. Typically we know who's going to win everything going into the SEC tournament. Yeah. I think that uh, Arkansas gets coaching staff of the year in the SEC. Is that one we can unanimously agree upon? I think that yeah, might I think be so. It. Right. Yeah. yeah. That one. Now, we can't even begin to talk about freshman of the year in the SEC. I don't have a clue. Throw <laughs> the papers. Nothing yeah. makes any more sense. All, all of them are good, but they're not good at the same time. Right. It's like, you know, you're not really sure. Cause they, they, they've all been freshmen like, all year long. Right. The best stats are on the 12th place team. Like, <laughs> right. We can't right. award that. that can't right, be. exactly. I know. It's so difficult. It's so difficult. But the great part about that is it doesn't really matter. Like, it's just kind of like a little, like, star on your uniform, like a, a little thing that you can say. But realistically, I think any of these girls who are up for these awards would much rather playing for the national championship than being – player of the year in the sec right right speaking of that we have the sec tournament which is going to lead into selection sunday coming up for the ncaa tournament uh the tournaments might the conference tournaments may be as important as they've ever been especially toward those the bottom 12 seed 12 to 16 seeds on who's hosting and who's not what are you looking for to see in the ncaa selection process here coming up on sunday can you believe it's a week away yeah (laughs) No, coming, coming right I, up. No, I cannot believe it. Really, does feel like it still is two weeks away. That selection Sunday isn't this Sunday for some reason. And what's so odd is it, it used to line up with Mother's Day, so it's even more odd that we just celebrated celebrated Mother's Day, and it still feels like it's so far away because it's very backwards thought process. Oh man, um, I have no clue, Tom. I have no idea what I'm looking for. I think that the committee is going to have an even more difficult time this year than they had last year. I think that wins this this coming weekend are crucial to bubble teams. Um, I'm really looking at the ACC tournament too because what happens if a team like Notre Dame wins the ACC tournament? Like, what is what does that do? Throw the yeah. papers, yeah, yeah. Uh, right. I mean, it's. <laughs> And like we've seen teams get at large bids just from their tournaments every single year, teams that we didn't think would make the tournament. So I I really don't know. It's so hard to predict all of this and then have so much change in the last weekend of softball. And then the Pac-12 just sits there with no tournament, like, oh, it's not really that important. You know, it's not important to the Pac-12, but for everyone else, it's crucial. It will be, and it has become, and that's that's why that's why they're implementing it. The similar, they seem to be no matter what the sport, they're the last ones to do a tournament. But then they'll finally uh, the Big West. Jump on. Big West still doesn't have one. Oh well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, it always depends on what the what the committee is valuing the most. Mm-hmm. Um, the you know we always the fallback we always talk about the reason why we have the stickers that say farcical is from. Uh, 2019 when Alabama won the regular season by four games swept Florida in the regular season Florida beat them 2-1 for the SEC tournament championship and somehow Florida was a five seed and Alabama was the eight seed eight yeah uh, so we that have crazy right we still have no idea why or, or what the value was there so what is what is this committee gonna going to really value I mean you take a look at one of the cases going to be Texas how much are they going just because they got they got the only team that has beaten Oklahoma? Is that going to cancel out like being swept by LSU? That type of thing. 
or losing the series to Baylor. Right. Yeah. Uh, including, including one of those where you gave up two touchdowns and a field goal. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and if I can kind of piggyback off of that, what are they looking at with more softball people on the committee? We've got three coaches there this year. So yeah. that's going to change. It, it has to, at think. least a little bit, some of the criteria. My assumption would be it would put more of a focus on eye test and who you beat. The quality wins, I think, will matter more. I think quality wins will matter. I think that they always tend to value strength of schedule. I think that we do see them award uh, some teams for their strength of schedule, but you're right. I it's the eye test is such a weird one to say they value because all of our eyes could value somebody in a different way. Right. Um, I think it's great that there are three coaches on the committee. So I'm, I'm interested to see how that impacts but at the end of the day, people in general have different opinions. And so there's going to be people who are happy and there's going to be people who aren't. I will never forget 2018, though, because I went on a rant on my Instagram story where I talked about the NC2A lady. Like, I mean, I think I put like 50 slides up of me just talking about the NC2A lady because I it wasn't the bracket that got me. Do you remember her interview after when she tried to explain it? I'm like, lady, if you're explaining, you're losing. Coach Enquist taught me that my freshman year. I must have went to her office and tried to talk my way out of something. (laughs) Man, um, I am nervous and excited all at the same time. And then after that, I will be busy prepping to cover 64 teams in Bristol for our whip around coverage of seven innings. Like that's what's crazy to me is the prep work. You all know that goes into it because until we know those brackets, I can't prep my, my regions at all. And you're like, God, it's just so stressful. Uh, Jen Schroeder joining us here on the Out of the Box podcast as we steal second, which Jen did not allow many people to do, by the way, mm-hmm. when she was a part Nor of it. Nor did I do it very often. <laughs> <laughs> Jen, before we let you go, uh, you mentioned the whip around coverage. Fill everybody in. What are you doing? Man, we're doing seven innings live again. So for three straight days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday of regionals. Jess Mendoza, myself, and Chris Budden. I'm unsure if we have another host. I think Chris is hosting the whole way, which she's fantastic. Also, she's hosting a serious, an ESPNU serious uh, show, I guess, on Selection Sunday. So if anyone is into right. radio, we'll be doing that on Sunday on ESPNU Serious Talk Radio. Um, but we are going to be covering all. 16 locations we're going to be trying to cover all 16 (laughs) locations we'll have uh both linear shows and then digital shows i think we're literally beyond some sort of tv for 13 straight hours a day so it will be a lot but it will be a lot of fun and i'm excited we'll be going dual boxes quad boxes filling in studio if there's weather you know we'll, we'll just be covering it all so i will have to prep for 60 four teams sounds like the dream <laughs> also if there's weather come on jen no. i know <laughs> when there's weather <laughs> jen schroeder joining us here on the out of the box podcast jen always a delight to see you and you know knock on wood fingers crossed we will see you in okc in a few weeks and oh, we don't yeah. have to buy your you... dinner so i know <laughs> see <laughs> alabama the only way you don't lose the UCLA and the UCLA tournament, don't play them. See, that's, that's right. right. Yes, always thinking. Always. You're thinking. learning. Uh, thanks for joining us, Jen. Thanks for having me, guys. Happy postseason. So there's Jen. You just heard it. 
what didn't we talk about? So much besides fun. the Big Ten. I kept wanting to find a way to talk about the Big Ten, but wow. sorry, we'll get to it. It'll happen eventually. Yeah, maybe in bracketology. Hmm. Segway. Oh. That'll be when we round third. We'll go over bracketology and also conference tournaments everywhere, but there's still some unresolved things happening in the Pac-12, and they've got regular season games. So we'll discuss all that when we get back here on the Outbox Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back, Gray, Tom, rounding third, out of the box podcast, regular season done, postseason here, yada yada, bada bing, bada boom. Tom, it's bracketology. Softball. My energy going down because yeah. there's no way that anything I have here is right. Well, I think I think some of it's right, or will end up being. Okay, right. well, Oklahoma number one. Right. Yeah, yes, got that. <laughs> Nailed it. Yes. Uh, everything else can change at a drop of a hat, and in a way, it's frustrating, but also in a way, it's really darn fun. Yeah, absolutely, and that's like I said, that's what makes it fun. You know, we looked at you know selection Sunday in basketball. The things that are still up in the air is what makes that so much fun in the entire bracket. And we're starting to get more and more of that every year with softball. So shall I present? Are you ready? Yes. Okay, here we go. What you got? Number one, Oklahoma. Okay. All right. yeah. Okay, I was sorry. I just wanted Oklahoma fans to, to hear that. I don't hate Oklahoma. Right. I've, I've spoken glowingly about them. The sweep of Oklahoma State locks it in. Congratulations. You could lose to Kansas somehow hmm. in the Big 12 tournament, even though that won't happen. And still be the one seed. Kansas State could start a softball team <laughs> and somehow beat Oklahoma. They would still be the number still one. Still be the number one seed. Got it. Two Virginia Tech, three Florida State, four Arkansas, five Alabama, six Arizona State. Huge jump. Wow. Seven UCLA, eight Tennessee, nine Oklahoma State, ten Northwestern, eleven Duke, twelve Clemson, thirteen Washington, fourteen Florida. This is where it gets hard. Fifteen Texas. 16 LSU, 17 UCF just on the outside, Missouri, Notre Dame, and Kentucky right behind. UCF very, very close to being in for me. Here's what the Supers matchups will be, and then we'll go through each category that each team is currently in. Supers would be 116 Oklahoma LSU. Still sign me up. 215 Virginia Tech, Texas. Oh, yeah. I think that's could be a very interesting matchup if that happens as well. Hold on to your butts, as Samuel L. Jackson once said. 314, Florida State, Florida. Mm. 413, Arkansas, Washington. I'd, I'd take that. 512, Alabama, Clemson. Yeah, I'd sign me up for that right now. <laughs> 611, Arizona State, Duke. 710, UCLA, Northwestern. A rematch of that epic game from the oh, St. Wow, Pete yeah. Clearwater right. Elite Invitational. And finally, 8 Tennessee, 9 Oklahoma State. Hmm. This might be, in terms of guy, wish this happens, the best bracketology I've put out. Right. Now, th- these are the best super regional matchups. Easily. 
It will not happen. No, like it this. will not. No, but it would be awesome if they did. It would be great. So here's where every team stands. I've got five teams currently as supers safe, like full 100% locks. No matter what happens. No way. matter what happens. Okay. Oklahoma, Virginia Tech, Florida State, Arkansas, and Alabama. No matter what happens, you're hosting a super. Supers bubble. I want to make sure I touch on these first two, UCLA and Arizona State. The only reason they are not in super safe is because they have to play three games guaranteed. You know, Alabama and Arkansas, if they both lose their next game, they're done. There are no more chances to lose. Yeah. Let's say UCLA or Arizona State both get swept this weekend. We could have an interesting conversation. Also in the Supers bubble, Tennessee, Oklahoma State, Northwestern, a big drop after losing two run rules to Minnesota, and Duke just hanging around. Right. Just chilling. Still, people still not really thinking they're any good, but, right. we'll see, but they're right there. Also, by being on the Supers bubble, that means you are locked to host a regional. Regional safe, Clemson and Florida. Pretty easy. Not much to add. And finally, the regionals bubble. Mm. Washington, again, you know, even though on my list I've got Washington ahead of Florida, I think if Washington were to get swept by Arizona State, a conversation could be had about them being outside the top 16. Wow. Texas. Boy, would they walk out of the announcement this oh, year. Oh, yes, they would. Texas, LSU, UCF, Missouri, Notre Dame, Kentucky, Georgia, Oregon. Okay. All the information has been presented. You have a lot of data at your fingertips, Tom. I will pull out my profile packet. Hmm. Fire away. I'm going to go to the first thing, one of the things we just talked about with Jen Schroeder. Uh, you say Florida is regional safe, but let's say they do lose to either Texas A&M or South Carolina. Probably Texas A&M. <laughs> there. Is, do you think there is a scenario where my scenario happens where UCF jumps in and they send Florida as a two seed to a number 16 seed Knights in Orlando? Oh boy. Come on. That would anger some folks. Let me tell you. Do I, it, you coward. I honestly think no. Oh. Uh, and a big reason why I have LSU <laughs> hosting is because the SEC is always going to get the benefit of a doubt. This is the number one RPI conference. Last year, they had four teams hosting supers as right. top eight seeds. True. I, I think that at the end of the day, the SEC is going to get more than four teams hosting a regional. And right now you bump out LSU, the four would be Florida, Alabama, Arkansas and Tennessee. I think they're going to get five. And because of that, I think that that makes Florida very safe. The South Carolina factor would be far more damaging, I think, than losing to AM. But I think that the rest of the profile is good enough to where they will be safe unless the committee tries to make a statement about finishing the season strong, which I've always thought as, I mean, I don't know, last 10 games is, is not always the greatest way to interpret everybody because strength of schedule always varies. But at the same time, some of these Florida losses have not been good, and they're definitely limping to the finish line. A loss of Florida Gulf Coast on the last week of the regular season should have some consequence. I agree. Well, it did. I mean, this was right. a Florida team that I think I had nine last week. They were very much in the Supers hosting conversation. That is done. They have no shot to host Supers. They can win the SEC tournament. I think they probably get up to a nine, uh, depending on perhaps the path. But I would be stunned and a little angry if they hosted a Super. Back to looking at the top of these seeds, you have Virginia Tech at number two, Florida State at number three. Does that flip if Florida State wins the, the ACC tournament? Well, let's take a look at the path. Hmm. Let's see. What would each team have to do 
let's I assume we made it in the championship. That's right. The, that's the only Correct. time we can do. Let's say it's chalk. Okay. Mm-hmm. So to get there, Virginia Tech will have beaten Louisville, Notre Dame. Okay. Right. Notre Dame, yeah. solid. Good, good. They're working their right. way back in the hosting conversation. Florida State would have beaten Virginia, Duke, who is top 10 in the RPI, and then RPI number two, Virginia Tech. Florida State already has much better overall wins. The bottom line would be how much does the committee punish Florida State for the losses to Pitt and Boston College? If they punish them a lot, there's no chance it happens. If they decide, you know what, the quality wins overpower those couple bad losses, I think that there's a real shot Florida State could be your number two in that case. And also that might be a game where I test could be really important. If Florida State rolls out there and run rules Virginia Tech in the ACC tournament championship, evening the season series at two and doing so in dominant fashion, I could see that being enough to push the Seminoles over the Hokies. Does Tennessee, would they have to beat Alabama maybe in the semifinals to assure themselves of being a top eight? If Alabama, say they do face Alabama in those semifinals and Alabama wins, does that knock Tennessee out of being a top eight? No. And here's why. The committee's favorite strength of schedule, Tennessee's number one. When you've got the number one strength of schedule, you're going to get the benefit of a doubt, add in the fact they're in the SEC. And, you know, if you lose to Alabama, that doesn't hurt you. Now, if your loss is to Mississippi State, perhaps in the 311 matchup, should the Bulldogs beat LSU, that probably bumps them out. Uh, Even if they lose to LSU, that that will be a deeper conversation. Um, It would depend on what everybody else does around them. But if they win that game and then lose to Alabama, then I, I personally think. Uh, they're in a good position, again, depending on what everybody else does. If they find a way to beat Alabama, lock it up. Lock it up, absolutely. They're hosting a super. With Northwestern getting having some bad losses against Minnesota, not just because they were to Minnesota, but how they lost this past weekend to the Golden Gophers, what would be Northwestern's path to getting back into the top eight seed? Win the Big Ten tournament and hope that some of the teams ahead of you, like a Tennessee, like an Oklahoma State, they falter. You're pulling for Texas to beat Oklahoma State, or, you know, Oklahoma State, maybe they lose earlier in the Big 12 tournament. You're pulling for perhaps UCLA to stumble. Um, You're hoping that Tennessee has some issues. And then you just take care of your business. Because if you look at the Big Ten bracket, Northwestern's got some opportunities here. They have a chance to redeem themselves because they take on the winner, Minnesota-Wisconsin. And then you win that, you're probably playing Michigan. And then if you win that, honestly, the championship won't help you that much because it's either Nebraska, who I think is 30 right now, or maybe in Illinois, who's around that same area. Mm-hmm. But if you can get to the championship, you'll have probably an easier matchup than you had just in your path getting there. And you'll have picked up quality wins along the way. I think that might be enough to get them back over the hump if a couple teams around them stumble too. And asking you the question I asked last week, you have Alabama at number five. What is their ceiling and what is their floor as we play in the SEC tournament? I think that the floor is six. The floor is six, not lava, but six. <laughs> and I think the ceiling could be, it could be two, but that would have to take chaos. I'm talking Virginia Tech loses in the ACC tournament to Syracuse and Florida State loses the first game to Virginia, and Alabama run rules their way through the SEC tournament. And by the way, doing so against the most difficult path possible. Right. Yes, you can you can negotiate it too. Right. I think the run right. rolling Missouri, Tennessee, and Arkansas. Yes. Okay. 
Uh, and I think that there's a real case if Alabama wins the SEC tournament with a championship win over Arkansas that they can jump the Hogs. But I think the most realistic ceiling is probably three. And that would be if one of Florida State or Virginia Tech stumbled. To me, um, my guess is Alabama will be the four or the five. Uh, and six would be if Arizona State were to sweep this weekend at Washington and really lock down the Pac-12 championship. And Alabama loses early. Right. Okay. Yeah. And so the difference this year, you know, we make a big deal always about 2019, how much the, the SEC championship game a win for Florida knocked Alabama down. But the difference is this year, Alabama and Arkansas didn't play during the regular season. That, right. The reason why it was so egregious in 2019, Alabama had swept Florida in Gainesville during the regular season. So that was it's like that was totally wiped away. That's like that wouldn't be the case. And that's why I agree. If Alabama does beat Arkansas in the championship game, I can see Alabama jumping ahead of Arkansas despite Arkansas winning the regular season. Right. And, you know, I've had some people ask me about Alabama and Arkansas. And I think Alabama's profile in some areas is better than Arkansas. Although Arkansas has got more top 50 wins, but it wouldn't be right for me to have done all that, frankly, bitching and moaning in 2019 about what happened to Alabama and then do the same thing to Arkansas. Winning the SEC's got to mean sure, something. And Arkansas did that by three games. They've earned that higher spot. Uh, and I, I think also this year, as we talked about with Jen, the one thing I didn't really touch on, with more softball people, you've got more people who understand how difficult it is to win a conference. So I think that that is very much probably going to be more factored in with the seating. Uh, I think that if you've got teams especially winning in dominant fashion like Arkansas did, like Arizona State could do, that's going to give them a little bit more juice when it comes to seeding. If it doesn't, then I've got some questions. Yeah. Because I, I think, and especially in a year where, honestly, throw the darts. Like so many of these numbers are even. There's got to be some kind of difference. And to me, there's no bigger difference than winning your conference. You would think so. Yeah. So there we go. All right, you're good? I think so. Okay. If you have any other questions, DM me. My DMs are always open. Can't wait for all this to be just put in a hat and shook it up. Oh, Tuesday night. Just get ready for that. <laughs> AKA when you're listening to this podcast. Right. Okay. Yes. So big games coming up. We've talked a little bit about the other conference tournaments. Let's look at the pack. Arizona State wins two out of three against UCLA. Sun Devils are 18 and three in conference. Bruins are 16 and five. So Arizona State needs to win one game to clinch a share, two games to outright clinch the Pac-12 title from UCLA, Arizona State, though, at Washington. So it's not exactly the simplest task right. in the world, even though Washington just lost two of three against Utah. Well, I think one of the craziest things that we're seeing in the Pac-12 this year, the difference between this year and other years, you know, Jen talked about she thinks that the Pac-12 is down a little bit. I think they are a little bit down as far as the top teams are, but we are seeing the bottom teams in the league being able to rise up and win some games, which is one of the reasons why the SEC has always been so good is because you just can't roll the helmets out there and just and beat any, pretty much anybody in the conference. That's being shown here in the Pac-12 this year. For with, the first time in years. Right, with Stanford, Cal, Utah, all these teams getting big wins against the top part of the league. And I think that that is why it's a real bummer that the conference tournament starts next year. Right. This year would be bonkers. Like, yes. sign me up. I would turn on the Pac-12 network on conference tournament. <laughs> We'd week. find it. We'd find a way. Hunt it down. Right. 
All right. So what, what catches your eye here? What, what seems, I'm not going to ask you, you know, what do you want to watch, but what seems really critical because to me beyond of course, Arizona state, Washington, my eye goes to Stanford at Arizona Wildcats are fighting for their life. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. We've seen Stanford have that ability uh, to beat teams in this league. They're going to make the NCAA tournament. They are more of a lock to make the NCAA tournament than Arizona is. Does Arizona, you know, show that fight here at home the last weekend of the regular season knowing that they have to have a good performance or their season could be over after this weekend. I'll also touch on one more, a battle of the bubble. Utah is picking up quality win after quality win, but you got to be above 500 to make the NCAA tournament. They're one game above 500 right now. So they've got to win one against Oregon State to finish at worst 27 and 27 and be available for an at-large spot. Also on the flip side, Oregon State's lost like 11 in a row. It's been weird, total free fall. Yeah. And a lot of those games have been real tight. They just haven't been able to close those. So you definitely don't want to lose to the second worst RPI team in your conference when you're trying to make a bubble case. All of a sudden, Utah, Oregon State holds a lot of weight this weekend. Yeah. The quirk of scheduling, how it is set up to where all these series are really, really big for all these teams. Yeah. And congratulations to all the conference offices that nailed it. I went through the standings last week. There were like six different conferences that had their regular season championships coming down to the final weekend. And the two teams vying for it were playing incredible stuff. So great work, everybody. Uh, let's have, I guess, Alabama, Arkansas scheduled for the <laughs> end of next year. Oh, wonderful. Great. Yes. Awesome. Okay, Tom, it's time to head home. When we come back, I'm going to get the streamers and then I'm going to get the brackets out and the party will stop because there's no way our picks will be ready. <laughs> Plus, off the wall. Mm. For the love of God, stop complaining after wins. Everybody, They're joyous occasions. Right. Breaking the rules even though comments are off. I don't know how this is happening. Quote tweets, man. That's next here on the Out of Box Podcast. Hey! Welcome back to the Out of Box Podcast. It is time to head home. Gray Robertson and Tom Canterbury here on, I guess, the regular season finale because it's postseason time. And that means, Tom, the regular season picks are done, which means we have the results. <laughs> I'm not going to play the full song because royalties and whatnot. But Gray wins by one, 30 to 29. Oof, extra stuff playing. <laughs> We're all celebrating. Yes. Don't you forget about me, Tom. And don't you forget that I won this year. 30 to 29, which first off, hats off to both of us. Literally the best we've ever done by like a wide margin. Right. I guess, I mean, I, I thought that since I took the regular season crown and taco hot sauce race, that might factor in, but apparently not. Lots of winning for the out of the box boys yeah, in various true. competitions. Very much. We win all the time. <laughs> that is what we do. Right. So we both got three last week. I got LSU 2-1. Uh, Arkansas 2-1, Bama 2-1. You got Oklahoma sweep, Arizona State 2-1. So good job yes. on the non-SEC stuff. Thank you very much. And then Bama 2-1. So not a great overall week for us, but again, the year we crushed it. Hats off right. to both of us. Considering how bonkers this weekend was, the fact that we both got three, I'm pretty impressed with. And you know what? We're not a curse anymore because no. we pretty much correctly predicted every Alabama series except for, I think it was... Uh, well, I, we both whiffed on LSU, and, and we both whiffed on AM. Yeah, the, the two times Alabama didn't do well, we didn't do well. So, right. that, you know, it's a correlation. Yes. So now we go to the SEC tournament. We're both picking AM to beat South Carolina. Right. Got that. From then on, it's a free-for-all. Chaos. Here we go. 
We All will right. start top of Wednesday. We're going in order of time in which the game will be played. Since SEC net. Sorry. I say, since you won, do you get to pick first? Yes, I do. Okay. Starting things off at 12 noon Eastern time on the SEC Network. And by the way, all games on the SEC Network and ESPN2 for semis and championship. All Alabama games, of course, on the Crimson Tide Sports Network as well. And lots of radio teams as well in town too. So plenty of coverage. We start with the six seed LSU versus the 11 seed Mississippi State. And I, I think that this is where the way the series ended helps LSU. They dominated the series as a whole and had a little lapse at the end of game three and it cost them. I think LSU actually wins pretty comfortably. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be comfortably, but I agree. I think LSU is going to be able to win this one and, and match up uh, the chalk matchup in game number six. All right. Missouri, Auburn, seven and 10. What, why, how, and who? I'm going to take Auburn because I feel like typically we see Mickey Dean's teams pull off a couple wins in the SEC tournament. A couple years ago, these two teams matched up. And we thought Missouri might be a dark horse in this tournament. Auburn won game one and actually ended up being the dark horse. I think they got to the the semis that year against Florida. So I'm going to pick Auburn. I think Maddie Pinta gets hot and her style is similar to Montana's to where I think, as you said earlier, she can shut down the Missouri offense. Had Auburn not been swept by Tennessee, had they won one game, I would feel much more comfortable being able to pick this as, as the upset. I, I don't think I can do it. I'm going to have to pick pick Missouri. Okay. Yeah, I, I just think they're just a, playing better and just overall a generally better team. Let's move on. We've got Florida A&M, 5-12. Uh, earlier today, I was thinking A&M all the way, but I've talked myself into picking Florida. I'm taking the Gators. Wow. <laughs> you did it. Yeah. You made it happen. I, I um, Yeah. I, they're not going to just be one and done at their home tournament. It's Florida. But I think they are. Really? Yeah, I am going to pick it. I'm going to pick AM again because where's the pitching for Florida? What's happening in the pitching lab? The experiments have not worked. And I think AM, having played the day before, kind of get themselves in a little bit of a rhythm. Florida, I think, will press a little bit, expecting, you know, in front of their home fans. Sometimes it's a blessing, like it was for Alabama last year. Sometimes it's a curse. And, and I think it's going to, it, I don't think it's going to help Florida this year. I think AM pulls the upset. The other sticking point here, AM is really bad on the road. They've had a real, I think they're two and 11, something like that, three and 11 on the road. This is an actual true road game in yeah. conference tournament format. So, again, I'm going to stick with Florida, but I, I see the merit behind picking AM and I think they've got a chance to go on a run. Next up, the final game on Wednesday, eight seed Ole Miss, nine seed Georgia. All right, so they just played. <laughs> Ole Miss won games two and three, but Georgia dominated game one. I thought they were going to win game three solely based on the gigantic the, uh, comeback they had, even in a losing effort in game two. I think that the Georgia offense will find a way. I've got the dogs. Moving on. They kind of like what we talked about, though, is that how Ole Miss is doing the opposite of what they did last year. They, they are hitting their stride at the right time instead of having the, the tailspin at the end of the year. I think having – one in Athens against Georgia. Uh, they're able to hold on the momentum. I'm going to pick Ole Miss. Okay. I like yes. it. Lots of differences. Yeah. And that means, by the way, since we've got different variations going forward, we're going to alternate now. So oh, you okay. will lead off on the Thursday game. You've got Tennessee LSU, as do I. Go ahead. Again, LSU's not been able to sustain momentum after positive things happen all year long, and I don't think they start here, so I'll say Tennessee. 
Ashley Rogers, Ashley Rogers, Ashley Rogers, Tennessee. Yes. I've got Alabama, Auburn. You've got Alabama, Missouri round four again. And is Missouri going to be the Kentucky of this year that Alabama just keeps playing and playing? Oh my gosh. But I've got Alabama, Auburn and I'm, Matty I hope you're right, by the way. I'd oh, much thanks. rather I'd much rather the Iron Bowl of softball happening. Auburn did not touch Montana last year, and they didn't touch Lexi really last year, and they haven't seen Alex Salter yet. Uh, and also, of course, there's the history of Alabama literally winning at least one game every time they've been in the tournament under Patrick Murphy. I'm, I've got Alabama going to the semis. Yeah, like I mean, history says that Alabama's got to win at least one game. You know, Montana Fouts the way that, that she beat Missouri this past weekend, it wasn't just one way. She, she did it so many different ways. Again, the shout out to her, Steffi Mambranko pro throw, the type of games that they were calling and executing with an extra day of rest for Montana to go back out there and do it again. I think it can, it can be done. I'm going to say Alabama beats Missouri uh, for the third out of four times. It'll probably be like a final score of three, two or something. Oh, it'll be a war. Right. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but the next game will be late starting yeah. because so, this know, game will take a while. Right. But uh, I'm going to go with the tide winning that one as well. So we both have Alabama, Tennessee in the semis. We'll get to that in a bit. Huh, that's, that's, has that ever happened before? <laughs> For Kentucky versus, for me, five Florida, for you, 12 Texas A&M. Go ahead, Tom. It was a good one run for A&M. <laughs> They'll just run out of gas. Um, yeah, they're they're yeah. tired. They've yeah. had – this has been an Ooh. exhausting season for the Aggies. Yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, I, I think it's going to be one of those where uh, Kentucky kind of gets out ahead of them and they're not able to catch back up. So, I think Kentucky beats them. But uh, I think it'll be a heck of a performance by A&M. Yeah, I think, I think it'll be one of those stand up and applaud – you know, sure. When yeah. they're leaving the field, uh, type of runs. Kentucky versus Florida. Oh boy. Mm. I, I, I'm going to ride Aaron Koffel. I, I think that Aaron Koffel is angry that she doesn't win SEC Player of the Year and comes out and, and wants to wants to own it and show it. And I think Kentucky finds a way to win uh, in what should be a really good game. Again, this is the quadrant that I'm most interested in because I don't feel comfortable with anything. And typically, I take a, a leap when I don't feel comfortable, but that's how I've lost various other picks and brackets. So I'm going to take the higher seed or the best seed and pick Kentucky. Okay. Okay. Next up, Arkansas versus Georgia for me. And you've got Arkansas Ole Miss. Both interesting matchups. Arkansas, Georgia, as we said with Jen, take the over. But I'm going to take Arkansas to win this game because Madison Kerpix, I assume, will have had to throw to beat Ole Miss. And uh, I'm not sure how it goes if she has to throw the next day in a row. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I know how it goes if somebody else throws and that's an Arkansas bit of domination against either a Mathis or a Macy or somebody else. So I've got the hogs moving on. If you're looking at it matchup wise, I think Georgia has a better chance of upsetting Arkansas than Ole Miss does. So I think now we should note Ole Miss did shut out Arkansas earlier this year when Arkansas won that series two one, but please go ahead. Yes, that is true. Uh, But I think the matchup, Offensive-wise, like you said, I think would be uh, more advantageous for Georgia to have a chance to upset Arkansas than Ole Miss does. Uh, I think Arkansas will remember what happened last year when they went to the SEC tournament and lost their first game to Tennessee after clinching a share of the championship in Tuscaloosa. So I I think Arkansas comes out um, using that as motivation, and I think they win. And uh, amazingly, in the unpredictable tournament that we both think it's going to be, we both have chalk in the semis. When you expect unpredictability, you pick the predictability. Yeah. That is what I've often learned. 
We both have Arkansas, Kentucky. We both have Alabama, Tennessee. And I believe you lead off for Alabama, Tennessee in the semis, which is at 3 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN2. So we'll have a morning to think about it Mm -hmm. and then hopefully an evening to chill before a championship. (laughs) That would certainly be the goal. And if you're Tennessee, if Ashley Rogers does pitch you to victory against LSU in game number one, do you feel comfortable with throwing her again against Alabama or do you go with Edmondson or somebody else uh, in the circle for game number two against Alabama? Alabama is going to be all up to whether or not the offense is able to kind of round back into shape. If you're able to find not necessarily more hits, because like I said the hits have been there. Alabama's right. getting hits, getting them at the right time, getting the home runs when they're necessary, things like that. If Alabama's able to do that and hopefully a win against Missouri will get them there. Even if Ashley Rogers goes being on a second day, I feel more comfortable with Montana Fouts pitching on a second day than, than Ashley Rogers. Uh, I think if you're Alabama, is, is that a situation where you do like you did in game two against Missouri? Do you do Salter and then Fouts to end it instead of having Fouts go the entire time? Does Salter be, is Salter able to pitch the same way she did against Missouri? There, there's so many question marks I'm going to take Alabama too because we've seen this movie before and Montana Fouts has played in two SEC tournaments and made it to the championship twice. Yeah. And I have a hard time seeing that not happening a third time. Yeah. So we both have the Crimson Tide in the championship game and then they'll face the winner of Kentucky, Arkansas. That's right. And I'm going to take Arkansas <laughs> because, right? Yeah. It's oh, got to it's it's be it's Alabama, gotta, Arkansas in the championship. You got to do it. There, There's, there's, there's a, you know, there's the KB connection, obviously, but there also seems to there just seems to be like this pull, like like we're going to see each other. Mm-hmm. If even when, you know, the conference play stuff first started and we saw that Arkansas was for real and that they had a chance, it felt like, you know, we'll sort it out in the SEC tournament. It will be impossible to deny this Alabama Arkansas SEC tournament championship game. Kentucky's going to give up a heck of a fight, but the who's pitching prospect is, is going to it's going to run its course against an Arkansas offense as potent as it is. So I say it almost doesn't matter who's pitching for Kentucky. It could be me. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think we're both on that train. So we'll go Arkansas, Alabama in the championship. I'm going with the people's queen. The best case scenario for Alabama would be that Lexi Kilfoyle wakes up on Friday and can pitch against Tennessee. And cause the lady balls won't, won't see that coming. Right. And then Montana can go on a day's rest I'm certainly not counting on that, but I think if anyone in the country can go three straight, it's Montana. She's done it before against these same type of teams and has had a lot of success and a little bit of the kind of like what Jen was talking about, the historical aspects that been there before it all goes toward Alabama. Um, and as far as that goes, so I'll pick, I'm going to pick Alabama. Yeah, me too. Uh, I I don't feel good about it because I think it could it could be an insane ball game. Oh yeah. Um, but I I think that in the category of they've been there before, Shanice Dells has not thrown innings filled with pressure like she will in this SEC tournament. Right. You know, at Tulsa, winning that league, winning the American, performing well in the American that's that's a big accomplishment. But this is this is the SEC. This is a whole different ball game. There, the lights are on you from the word go. And and she has thrown so well this year. I don't want to take any credit from her. But if I had to trust one pitcher between players who have been there before, Mary Half, Montana Fouts, it, it's it's Fouts. I'm not sure how Delsa react and Half just hasn't had it this year in the way that she did a season ago. But I think it's going to be a heck of a ball game. 
there are a lot of ways it could play out that excite me. Yeah. And there's, you know, other ways that you can look at it on, like we talked about way back on in the first section of the, of the show, you can not win and play well. Right. Uh, or you can. Alabama not... did that in 2019 against Florida. Right. Exactly. So there's that. Uh, if you look at it, I know we've talked with other coaches and uh, people in the program and you look at it, there's only been a few games this year of the 10 Alabama losses where you really just think, well, the other team was just better that day. Yeah. You know, you know there, there have been a lot of these losses. If you're Alabama, you feel like, man, we kind of gave that one away. If you're Alabama, the main thing in this tournament, I think, is win or lose. You don't want to have that. You don't want to have that feeling of, man, we, we gave it away. You, you want to go out there and you played as well as you can. And if the other team wins on that day, the other team wins. But you, you go out there and you play uh, to the top of your ability. And so you can continue that as we go on into other tournaments after the SEC tournament. Okay, that's the bracket. And also, I know if, if, you're, if you're not an Alabama fan and you listen to the podcast, we appreciate you. Thank you so much. Mm. We don't just pick Alabama chalk every time when these type of brackets and tournaments no i i'm i'm like i'm still right like should i pick arkansas like it right there heck i i see a world where missouri is the one that ends the the one game streak and moves on sure absolutely i mean it's that like truly we went chalky because that's what you typically do on unpredictable years if you don't know just go with the best bet Mm -hmm. but Basically, I see 11 teams that can win this conference tournament. Yeah, someone could do a, a rich strike from uh, the Kentucky Derby and enter totally. in 30 minutes before the cutoff line and, and win the whole thing. A&M could be tired, but that could be, you know, Florida State was tired when we yes, saw them in the World Series were. last year. Exactly. A&M could go on a tear. It's not impossible. Mm-hmm. I don't feel great about it, but those are our SEC tournament <laughs> bracket picks. We both have Alabama shocker. Yes. But uh, I, I think all in all, an unbelievable event on tap. Speaking of unbelievable – for the love of God, why are some of you using the internet? It's time for Off the Wall. <laughs> Use the internet just to know what time and what TV, what TV channel the games are on. Did you know that that thing where you asked what the score is can also look up the score? <laughs> All right, Tom, you're first. Go ahead. Uh, you're welcome. Stop complaining when we win. I don't uh, like... Comments again are off, but you can, you know, quote, tweet, you can do all the other, you can comment on other things, uh, which again is why this is not hindering your free speech. If uh, Are people still arguing that? Yeah, there's still a little bit about that. So Alabama wins and there are comments that are saying still can't hit. Alabama won. What do you want the Alabama post to be? We couldn't hit, but we won 3-1. Is that, is that the main goal of these people? Is like is that what is that the end game that they want they, they want Alabama to say you know we didn't do get we didn't play very good but we won or we should we shouldn't have won but we did like what 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 do they want what is what what are you trying to they want to be Oklahoma portray? that's the thing they they want us to run rule everybody right and that's not a viable option in the SEC it just no. isn't no, it just and, isn't and Oklahoma is going to find that out when they come to a real conference yes stop complaining when we win stop complaining about wins right. And stop being so damn dramatic all the time with the absolutes. Stop being miserable, people. The rent is too damn high. <laughs> Let me tell you, just because Alabama struggles hitting, that doesn't mean their hitting is the worst in the conference. Why do I keep seeing that? Their hitting is atrocious. That was another thing I saw. It wasn't. They won the game. They right. clearly got enough yeah. to, to beat Missouri. 
every, we say this all the time, every single game is different. And I want to make this point as well. How many games have we seen at the World Series, whether it be Alabama playing or games we have watched in person that have been nine to four or 10 to five or something like that? Very rare. Typically at the Women's College World Series, unless you get to, unless it's like after 10 o'clock, typically those games, all bets are off. Yeah. But more often than not, the World Series games are three to two, four to three, two to one, three to one, one nothing, something like that. You're going to play in the postseason and in the Women's College World Series a lot more games like what Alabama did this past weekend against Missouri than what we saw in LSU, for example. As we talked about, these stats kind of came out of nowhere. But for Alabama to show that they can win these types of games is, is the important part. You know, it doesn't take coming back like they did against Mississippi State to win every game because odds are, you know, if somebody scores six runs on you in the Women's College World Series, it's going to be real tough to come back and win that one. But if it's two runs in the Women's College World Series, sometimes it just takes the one hit to get the three, and that might be all you need. My other, I'm going to branch away from the Alabama fan base for just a moment. Oh, no. And the off the wallness. Man, Missouri went off the wall. The Missouri people. I love you, Michaela, but go ahead. What in the world? Okay, again, as I mentioned early on in the show, she didn't rob the homer. If she caught the ball, we're not talking about this. That's that's not a robbery of a home run. You tried to make a play, and you didn't. It was a great effort. Mm -hmm. It resulted in what should have been at least a two-run double instead of a three-run homer. Right. It's, and again, it's not why you lost the game. You lost the game because you couldn't get a hit with runners on base. We, Alabama's felt that that pain. I under we, we understand. We commiserate. Right. We feel we feel you. We can all do a prayer circle right, right now. But to not acknowledge that at all and blame the entire game on the play that was a three-run homer in the fourth inning. In the by fourth the way. inning, you had plenty the of middle more of the game. Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't, it, the, the level of whining got really, really bad. It, there's no other way to put it. The, it got very, very whiny. At what point, like, should Al, are they expecting Alabama to say, no, no, it wasn't a homer. Take, yeah, take the I, runs away from us. I mean, it's, it was an unfortunate situation that you couldn't really do anything about once, once the call was made and it wasn't a walk-off. You had three more innings to do something about it and you didn't. Right. So it, it, I was I was surprised and at some point really annoyed by the, re, the response from uh, the Missouri fans. Very awful. Yeah. A lot of folks seem to think I was Eric Freed. I was not calling the game on ESPNU. Right. I was our friend Eric Freed who was remote. And so they've they actually, I think, probably had a better chance of seeing it in right. real time than we did in venue. Again, I, I thought I hit a chair on TV. You've got I'm not sure where Eric was. I know Maddie was in Charlotte. I'm sure Eric has a great home studio if he wasn't somewhere in the ESPN studios. You've got five or six monitors with about 10 different camera angles on there, all showing you different things at the same time. It it wasn't until the replay that we, that we, that we saw what happened. And I, you know, we're the Crimson Tides Force Network. Both of us said that hit the top of the wall. That's yes, not a home it run. was not a home run, but it was called as such. And, and we we tried to figure out if it was reviewable and what right. could happen. And we talked through every scenario. And 
it, it's just we had time because yes, we did. It, it took a little bit of time. It was just one of those crappy situations that went against you. And trust right. me, we've been there. Oh, I, yeah. un- I understand. This this is very rare that something like this actually benefits Alabama because rarely it does. But again, one, you didn't rob the home run. Two, it wasn't a walk-off. You could do something about it. And Montana Fouts was outstanding. And that was Montana Fouts plus the lack of being able to execute runners on base for Missouri. That was why Alabama won that game, not because of the home run that at worst should have been a two-run double. Right. All right. I'm going to uh, I'm going to put on my reading glasses and I'm going to look through the Facebook comments mm. mentally. Okay. Mine, this is a metaphor. Mining from other places. Yes. Okay, so again, I'm seeing the pop-ups about the hitting coach. And look, we, we've discussed the hitting coach thing. Um, you know, honestly, we, we've said Patrick Murphy's hitting coach, Allison Habits, Steph, they all know the things. If that's not good enough for you, fine. All right, you know what? You can have your opinion. But here's what I want to see. I want to see somebody name a name. If you want a hitting coach, show that you know enough about the sport. Say somebody. I have, I have seen for five years people say Alabama needs a hitting coach. No one has provided a solution. Nobody has said, well, this person's available. No, yeah. Patrick Murphy should look at him and, and see once they expand the assistant pool, which I think honestly is coming in yeah. the next two years, probably Alabama can have more assistance in softball. When that happens, uh, say, who? this is who I want Patrick right. Murphy to go get. Because Whose right. philosophy do you love so much that you want to bring them to the university? Because just saying Patrick Murphy needs a hitting coach, all you're doing is just putting out negative oxygen that does nothing for anybody. And also because the the number of assistant coaches hasn't expanded right now, who are you firing? That's who, who, that's the other part who, who too. Who are we getting rid of? That's I, I want both of those. Both right. of those. Yeah. I, I have heard no actual solutions when people have asked either or both of those questions. Yeah. No, that's and, and of course there's always a possibility, you know, Steph could go to another job. Allie could retire. You know, there are so many different ways that could play out. But bottom line, don't just say Alabama needs a hitting coach and then not be able to answer the following right. two questions that come. Who are you getting rid of and who do you bring in? And I, I would also like... Because if it were an offensive coordinator in football, these people would have a list. Absolutely. But sure. if, if you're not smart enough to provide candidates for softball, then you probably shouldn't be commenting on it. I've also seen people throw out like former players' names as well. Do you have any inkling that these certain players have any desire to be a coach a lot of them don't want it no that that is it is a a lifestyle and a job that a lot of players don't want and that and that's fine you know it's a and you don't have to have been a player to be a great coach either and but it doesn't necessarily translate sometimes some of the worst coaches are the former players because they can't understand why the current players can't do it as well as they did it does not always mean there's going to be success right so just Throwing out names of former Alabama great hitting hit hitters that might not want to be a coach. Right. Mary Schroeder's a tremendous elementary school teacher. Teaching her kids L-M-N-O-M-P. Right. right. Doing, and that's what she should be doing. Yes. I Do I think she could probably be a good hitting coach? Maybe, but she wants to be a teacher and she should be a teacher. Yeah. Bailey Hemphill. I keep seeing her name. Bailey's got other stuff to right. do right now kaylee tao when she leaves here is going to go work for boeing and probably eventually own it so that's she's Get us a new yeah, press box right she's gonna make she's, she's gonna be fine <laughs> <laughs> probably won't be the hitting coach no she's got other things to do uh, okay anything else you'd like to add on off the wall again mm-hmm. just stop complaining about wins 
especially now. It doesn't matter how you win in the in That's postseason. Right. It could care less. Is. If we could win every game one nothing, don't care. Alabama wins, and that means we've got a ring. Right. That means we got a championship. The ring size doesn't change on the number of runs you score in the game. That's a great way to put it. I'll end it with that. There we go. <laughs> oh man, what an episode! Thank you to Jen Schroeder. It's it's time to go into the postseason, Tom. Which means we're going to be very active on social media. All of our friends are reconvening. In Gainesville, Bro, Ship, Scarborough, Smitty, BMO, Kevin Brown, our friend from ESPN, partner with uh, Amanda Scarborough for our games, the day games at the SEC tournament. Uh, like everyone, Sid will be in town. It's going to be a heck of a party, and we're going to be tweeting through all of it, Tom. So where can the people find your account? We're going to have to get a big, a big group picture or something at some point. I'm, I'm already working on something. Good, good. Uh, you can get me at TCanaburyRTR on Twitter, C-A-N. T-E-R-B-U-R-Y. And I'm at Gray, J-A-Y underscore Robertson, at out of the box underscore pod on the Twitter for the show. And of course, lots of ways to tune in. The press box is going to be a madhouse, honest to goodness, because you've got multiple team radios, SEC radio, two TV crews that'll be interchanging in the break. It's going to be fun. And we're going to be there. How can the people listen to Crimson Tide Sports Network? With all that stuff going on, Maybe we're not even in the press box, which I'm not really that upset about if it happens. I enjoyed being Can we outside. take that outfield little perch bar area thing? <laughs> Where we can heckle the, the left fielder? <laughs> Let's sit in the Adirondack chairs. <laughs> yes, that would be awesome. Uh, but yes, you can hear us on the Crimson Tide Sports Network if you're listening over the air on the radio in Tuscaloosa, 97.5 FM, nick975.com, as well as the MeTV 975 app. And you can always get us as well on the Varsity app. Just download that and you can get any Crimson Tides Force Network uh, broadcast, including every Alabama Network game. So that is available all week long. And uh, the first game, as you said, against either Missouri or Auburn is coming up on Thursday, 1.30, the scheduled first pitch, 1.20, the airtime. Scheduled. Right. We'll be on at 1.20. And then if it's just a little bit of delay, we can probably talk. We'll have enough things to discuss. I'm basing that, of course, on the runtime of this episode. Right. Just taking a guess. <laughs> so we could probably drive to Gainesville during this, this podcast. <laughs> New uh, bracketology. Right. That's yeah. when it will drop. You, you can do all that stuff. So uh, unless it is a massive delay for that first game, we'll probably just have an extended pregame. But then we're the first game. As long as Alabama's in, it will be the first game of the day. So it'll yeah. be a, uh, it won't be uh, a thing we're going to have to tap dance too much. It's mayhem. Here we go. Everything Woo! matters. Every pitch is important. Every game's going to be bonkers. If you think you know what's going to happen, just prepare for the exact opposite. We hope to see you in Gainesville this weekend. If you're coming through, just come and say hello when we're walking through the concourse, unless we look like we're really moving. Then in that case, get the heck out of the way. And if you've got any excellent restaurant recommendations, please send them our way because we hope to be there for a couple of days. Should we put in the reservation for a bagel now? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Make the call right now. <laughs> it may be ready by the time we get there. For my partner, Tom Canterbury, I'm Gray Robertson. Again, thank you to Jim Schroeder for joining us on this episode. Postseason's coming up. Mayhem is in full swing. And the conference tournament starts tomorrow and today as you're listening to this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time on the Out of the Box Podcast.